What's good, y'all? My name is Dylan Green, and this is Real Notes, a space dedicated to blurring the cultural and artistic lines between rap and film. I'm here to chop it up with everyone from rappers and producers to journalists and video directors about their relationship to movies and how, if at all, film inspires their craft. My guests this week are Atlanta-based journalist and author Yo Phillips and New Orleans-based filmmaker and musician Holland Gallagher, creators of the rap documentary series Rap Portraits. We talked about Andy Warhol, how director Bong Joon-ho is like Freddie Gibbs, album rollouts, Tyler the Creator, the Migos, film school, learning their jobs on the fly, Holland's web series Hype, the creative process behind Rap Portraits, and whether or not we've entered a new rap blog era. Come fuck with us. Holland doesn't cut the camera off at all because he knows I can't. Yeah, I know miss how it anything. is. On the, on you're the you're smart. Yeah, you're smart. <laughs> See, you're smart as shit. I'm 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 not smart. I'm sleep deprived, and yeah. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you've been on fire, Dylan. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I like, I like the mic too. That's cool. Yeah, this is Thank a very you. professional situation. Yeah, no. this is a real podcast. This is, this is Desiree. Shout out! Shout out to Desiree. She's. I, I knew I knew this is good or like I, I knew this was gonna happen and then she was like I'm gonna she just got me a mic for Christmas and I was like wow thank okay. you <laughs> so yeah she really she really hooked me up empowering friends that's what we like to say that's what we love to do yeah. Yeah. always man I got yo a camera for his birthday like oh a little handheld camcorder cam for his birthday he's been oh man I've been shooting everything shooting literally everything what kind like a Sony kind of nostalgic hand cam. Oh, yeah. 60X oh with, the, with the flip screen and shit? Yeah. Oh, the good shit. The good yeah, shit. Yeah. Good <laughs> shit. Bro, I'm about to make all new Warhol films. <laughs> I'm about to do the next Andy Warhol. It's not even a game. So you, you mentioned Warhol. Tell me, tell me who you're going to film sleeping for 33 minutes. Oh, really? Rihanna? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that would be a hit. <laughs> for 33 minutes. That would be yeah. more popular than any rap portrait we could ever do. Probably. Honestly, it'll be, the, it'll be the biggest music video of all time. Yeah. Watch me do it too. Watch me see Rihanna and be like, I just need you to sleep for 33 minutes. Yeah, it's like no one in the room, just put it on the cam, uh, put it on the tripod, leave. I hope she gets like an award for this. Like, her acting's top tier. Like, no one's Man. ever slept the way Rihanna slept. <laughs> that would be high art, dude. Yes, it is high art. Yeah. Rihanna sleeping is high art. Honestly, that's, yeah. that's why I'm about to be Warhol. It's got to be. She's got to be wearing some Fenty, and then like, come on, does, you see the villain? Do, does Rocky still make clothes? Doesn't matter. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't matter. He's right. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's just... <laughs> Oh, I was gonna ask another question. I can't even remember what it was. Um, shit. Uh, it was fucking Warhol. Oh yeah. Um, there, there was, there was some other shit. I don't know if this is real or not. Like, it might have been a joke I was making with some people, but somebody told somebody told me about like, there's this Daniel Day Lewis video somewhere where he's just like, they just filmed him sitting on a stool for like an hour and twenty minutes. And just like staring at a screen, right? And then I think like halfway through, he takes a pull from a cigarette and just looks into the camera and says, "I'm Daniel Day Lewis." And that's all the talking he does in the whole movie. Or Who some makes shit. It? What is it? I don't know. Do you know like, more than it might not be real. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> oh, the story's just, like just in, yeah. Honest, it's just in my head for some. I don't know why, but it's just in my head for some reason. And I never thought. I never stopped thinking about that. 
That's like the Shia LaBeouf like, filming himself watching all, like his whole catalog in that theater. Yeah. You know about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That happened at um. That happened at a theater in the city. That was uh, I think that was at the Angelica. Yeah, I think I was in that specific at that specific screen once. I think I saw a movie there once. Damn. Was it all of Shia LaBeouf's uh, filmography back to back? Because I think that it, he might have been in the theater with him then. It had nothing to do really? with Shia LaBeouf. This, <laughs> yeah. this might have been this might have been years that. before. I remember that. I want yeah. to say. The thing that you remember, it's so funny that it doesn't have to be complex. It can be extremely simple. It could be just someone staring at a camera and saying their name one time. And that sticks with you. Versus like a two hour film where you got all these explosions, you got all these monsters, you got all these dragons. It's the extras. It's cool. Yeah. It's definitely like riveting, but sometimes simplicity can be compelling. So most compelling. You you bring with out of the theater with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you carry that thing home. Yeah. I feel like that's nah. what we're trying to do with rap portraits. So yeah, like, we're not trying to be that you bring home with like you. the yeah. blockbuster. We're just trying to make sure you take us home. See, wow, that turned into an ad so fast. I'm that turned into a self plug <laughs> in a matter of <laughs> Bro, literally, literally everything is advertising. Like, <laughs> like talking is advertising for our brains. It's like, oh my god! Wow, that's you're so all times. You just say to your friends. Yeah. I heard um um I heard a I heard a thing from somebody that I interviewed who I'm not gonna say. Well, actually, no. I think it'll be out. I, I think I think this will be out by the point this comes out. I was talking to Vano three thousand for the Vice piece, and he ended our interview by saying, "Shit's deep, but it doesn't have to be complicated." And that's what that reminded me oh, of. Yeah. It's like, I've never heard no shit like that in my life, and I was like, "Yo, you really just fucked me up." Like, I'm on that type of time for real. Yeah, Big honestly, yeah. it's another thing where it's uh on the same note in this David Mamet speech, where he's talking about how like the music of the eighties is really like big and it's like sort of over grandiose. And then he's talking about how it's like a lot of stuff that doesn't really say anything. Whereas like Billie Holiday doesn't do very much, but like everything she does is like brilliant. Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's, and it's really like, it's really just about, it's really just about like choosing when you want to speak and what you want to say. Cause like you could, cause like, cause you know, like rest in peace, doom. This is the first time I've talked about doom on this podcast and I'm upset at myself. Rest in peace, doom. He had one tweet his entire life. It just said, doom is not on Twitter. That's it. <laughs> and like that, I don't know. Like that just met, that just, it speaks volumes about the type of person that he is. And uh, you look at somebody like Frank, when he, when Frank had Twitter, he didn't really tweet very often. Um, Vince doesn't tweet very often. And when he does come back, it's Vince Staples rather. When he comes back, it's to promote something or like he's like building up hype, like, hey, I'm back for two weeks. Boom, single, boom, album. Like, yeah, only doing what's essential. Right. And essential is cool sometimes. We don't need the extra shit all the time. Sometimes it depends on who you are. Like, extra shit is cool depending on who you are, but not everybody needs it. Like, true. It's not, it doesn't have to be like a requisite to being an totally. artist. And I think you got to find balance. Oh, yeah. I remember yep. being in Miami for Rolling Loud and Gucci brought all his cars to Rolling Loud for no reason. It's just a parking lot full of cars. And I remember looking at it, just being amazed that he did it. And, it, and then he just packed them up and went home. It was like, it wasn't for like a music video. It wasn't for anything else. It was just like, I'm Gucci Mane and I take my cars with me everywhere I go. And I loved it because it was, it was simple. It was loud, but it was him. Uh, like if extra is you, then be extra. Just be you. If you're not right. extra, then don't try and be extra thinking you got to keep up with Gucci, man, because 
there's no way you're going to take all your cards on the line. You're just not going to do it. Right. It's like DMX. DMX took his dogs everywhere. Like, that's just him, you know? Like, ex- exactly. Also, 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 rest in peace to X. Second time I've had to say that. Very sad. We miss you, <laughs> honestly. You, man. That was, that was so... It was so sad. And two points about both of those guys. One, Doom traveled. Like, his name traveled. His music traveled. He wasn't on the radio. I'd never heard Doom on the radio, ever. Me either. Not, Not once. Life. But, boy, I can tell you, even before he died, I saw him everywhere. I saw the, I saw action figures. I saw music videos. I saw, I saw songs. You know what I mean? Playboy Cardi talked about Doom when I interviewed right. him. It was yeah, you did. it was amazing to see somebody be so underground and be so major at the same time. Same thing with X. X was major, but it wasn't like he was major his entire career. But like he hit a certain height very early on, but we never forgot him. He stuck with us his entire like the span of his career. He was with us the entire time. We never forgot X. And even when he passed, you could feel it that like this is somebody that we were never going to forget. This is somebody that like, meant a lot to all of us. And I believe that artists who do that, they will do. They really do last forever. Like you forever. can, if people can take you home, mm-hmm. they'll always keep you, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and yeah, X left it all out on the table, like he really did, and like Doom didn't. Not really. Like we didn't really know much about him outside of like the things that he wanted us to know. But we still took him home. Like he, like he gave us a thing to take home. It just wasn't him. I mean, I guess it was him, but like not. It's weird. He 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 was he was more of a symbol, and X was a person. You know, yes. like X didn't wear X. a mask. Doom wore a mask. We weren't yeah. we weren't supposed to see him, and he made sure we didn't see him. But he gave us enough where we felt him. X right. wanted you to see and feel him. It was in his voice, like it was in his lyrics. It was in the way he moved. Everything about X was physical. Everything about Doom was elusive. Like yeah. Doom was just crafty. It but was he was amazing. trying to say something though. He had something to say. It's like in a similar way to Frank where he only comes out and he says what he's trying to say and then he goes away. It's like either you got, you got to be a person that has something to say or like with X, you have to be a person like that you, with some, like where you're trying to be somebody, like say something or right. be something. Absolutely. Right. Don't, yeah. As long as it's you though, you know, it's gotta be you. Yeah. It has to be. Always. Y'all before, before we really get this started, y'all ever hear the story about how Tyler saw doom's face, Tyler, the creator. No, no, what's that story? So long story short, they um, Tyler, um, that that clip of Tyler and Earl watching Doom play the festival in Europe. There's yeah. a whole video behind that. Like they they did like an Earl Wolf show and uh, they, they they and as soon as they finished, they ran off to go see Doom play. And oh, I just my fan is on. I gotta turn this up. Um, so Doom was playing at this festival in Europe and. uh <laughs> Doom and Tyler meet. Doom calls him T Boogie, and it freaks him out because, like, because like he didn't know that all of like OF at the time called him T, so he just called him T Boogie, and they were all like, "He called you T Boogie." And apparently, like Tyler was just like hanging out backstage at the right time, and Doom poked his head out of his room, and he and it was Daniel Dumoulin without the mask on, just his head, just like there. And uh, I think Narwar asked Earl about it, and he was like, "Nah." Like I like like I missed it, but Tyler saw Doom's face like in the physical, wow. and then like before we knew it, it was over, and that was it. He had that one split second chance, and then that was it. And then his career Tyler's seen Doom's face. Like that's crazy. 
I feel like that I'm with I'm with Holland. Something special about yeah, he's been touched. That's why he he got everything he got. Because like if Earl (laughs) saw Dylan's face, it would be different. He didn't see it. Only Tyler saw it, and then he made earthquake. (laughs) Yeah. And 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 lumberjack, the new shit that came out today is crazy. I haven't heard of it. Is it, is it crazy? Oh, it's crazy. He's got DJ drama drop. He got, he got drama on the song. It reminded me of like some old cool kids tapes. Yeah, running back to the beginning type shit. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. The the, uh, the the other cool. thing I saw. The, um, I'm sorry to cut you off. The other things I saw him. Um, a lot of people were talking about in my mind the prequel, like the Pharrell drama tape. Like that was the one that I saw everybody can be like. He's on that type of time. It's going to be crazy. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, man. I can't believe Tyler Creator's career is going the way he's going right now. Yeah, me either. I, like I thought after Cherry Bomb, now that he had peaked, but I thought he had made a decision to be underground. Like, I didn't think he was going to go hyper major. And now he's just, to me, he's going to be one of the biggest artists of this decade. Of oh, the for 20s. sure. Yeah, Tyler Creator's going to come out and be like the star. He's he sold be- out. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off. He sold out MSG last year. Like end end of sentence. Like he's he's out of here. He's out of here. Like and his music is not like overtly pop either. Like he's really doing it his way too. It's exactly. Real cool yeah. shit. Yeah. He's yeah, yeah, like he's really he's really getting like it's it's so weird. Like there's really nothing out there like it like nothing out there like what he does and it's cool i i I always love that about him shout out to tyler always um damn we've already been talking for like 10 minutes this is always so great to see (laughs) what's cracking everybody i'm i'm I'm, fuck it i'm not even gonna do the stupid first part of the intro shit welcome back to real notes i think this is number 15 we got yeah i always forget the numbers i don't know why i don't know why i forget the numbers but this is number 15 um, I'm Dylan, Cinema Sci. I got a lot of names, two of them. I'm fun like that sometimes. Um, every guest on the show is incredibly special, but these two are just all over the place all the time and are very near and dear to my heart. Um, one of these men is a critically acclaimed rap journalist and notorious picture dodger who's written for everyone from DJ Booth and Passion of the Weiss to Complex and Rolling Stone. He's been all over the map. Um, this other man is a filmmaker from New Orleans and North Carolina with a handful of tight projects under his belt, including Hype, which is executive produced by Fonte. Everyone go watch Hype. It's crazy. And Hoop Portraits, which is a documentary series following up and coming basketball players. These two men came together and formed the rap documentary Voltron with Rap Portraits, which has been going since, uh, I want to say, like, what, like last January, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Rap Portraits has been going strong for about a year and a half, and it's only going to get bigger from here. Um, They have a newsletter now and they follow up and coming rappers. They've done Mavi and Chris Patrick and Tia Kareen and tons of other people that you're going to be talking about in a year or two because, you know, we're here. (laughs) Um, We got Yo Phillips and Holland Gallagher in the place to be. I'm so excited. Thank you all so much for coming on my shit. I appreciate it so much. What right. you didn't mention about my filmography is that I'm also on a quest to take pictures of Yo and put okay. them on the internet. So I'm See. working on that project as well. It's going pretty well. He's so made far. it like a life mission, bro. I'm There's more pictures of Yo on my him. Instagram than <laughs> elsewhere on the internet. Than anywhere else. If you want to find me, go to Holland's Instagram. This is the only place you can see me. Or mine. Or I have a picture. Dylan's oh, also working a... on the project with me. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's terrible that I have make my friends <laughs> take pictures of me because I, I won't do it. I really won't. Dylan, that was an amazing intro. Thank you so much. That was, oh, uh, of course. That was the first time we actually had like an intro for me and Holland. Like, it's yeah. true. Wow. This is probably yeah. our first, our first joint podcast, podcast that we've done yes. together. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I, like this. I like this. Yes. I was so happy when you hit us up because I just love doing things with Holland. Anytime I get a chance to collaborate with him, I'm more than willing to do it. And you. And you. Yeah, Dylan, we love you. I love wow. y'all, man. Wow. Thank you. Like, nah, man, this is, this is like, I've been wanting to do something like this ever since Rap Portraits first got off the ground. So like to do it here on like a, on, on like a platform that like we both own ourselves, like. Perfect timing. We out Perfect here, son. Time. I'm so happy for this. And I remember when this idea was just a conversation because we talked about the podcast, like we had a discussion about it. You yeah. told me what the idea was. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is a very cool idea. And to see you produce it has been amazing in itself. Like, I love when you just take something and you run it all the way through. I feel like you definitely follow through really well with ideas. And it's been amazing to watch your growth, bro. For real. Man, no, oh, thank you. That 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 was that was so much. It's been it's been amazing to see your growth, yo. Obviously, like we we've we've been talking a whole bunch the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And Holland too, like just like. I'm so mad we didn't get to meet at the Mavi show last year, but like oh, just yes. but you were there. I know yeah. I was okay. there. You were there for the first round portrait. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I was in the building. Like oh, I was wow. I got I was, the shirt on right now. Man. Like I got yeah. the shirt right now, bro. Damn, son. I have my shirt at home. Yeah, I'm 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 never letting that one go. That oh, was that was such an amazing night. Yeah. yeah. Like I cannot believe you were there. So you were there for the very first rap portrait. I feel like yeah. that night was very special for every person in that room or anyone that was around Mavi. It's uh, it's special, bro. It's really special. It was a special kid. Yeah, for, man. I can't. I I can't wait for Shango. Shango's gonna be nuts. I don't even know what it sounds like yet, but it's just he's 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 different. <laughs> Mavi's different. On the drive up to New Orleans, I was playing uh, "Let the Sun Talk." And I was like, man, Mobby raps like a demigod trapping the kid's body. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, like you've been locked in this little body. He's just trying to get out. He has all of this big energy and he's so tiny. Yeah. It's like fire, but like you're such a, like you're just a nice kid. But nah, man, like whenever, he, like him on beats is really something special. I just think the way he hits pockets, the way he, his voice moves, like everything about his lyricism is just, I think it's exceptional. I think he's an exceptional rapper who's only getting better. Yeah, man. It's really, like it's it's incantations. That's really the only way I've ever been able to describe yeah, this yeah. shit. It's just, it's just incantations. I can't even. Shout he's out to Amavi. So young. So young, right? Like, so yeah, young. he's like 20. He wants, man. Yeah. He's, he's like 20, <laughs> 21. Like it's- I get it's smarter unreal. every time I talk to him. Like, like he'll tell me stuff that I'm just like, where'd you pick this up at, bro? Like, what school did you go to? <laughs> Can I join? So that's that's too real. Um, so I want to start this episode off a little differently, like not too much differently, but I'm just Wait, like, can we just free- keep complimenting each other for like yeah. 30 or 45 more minutes? Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. Look at look at look at fucking Holland's nose ring, son. Right. The like, best. <laughs> Holland's nose ring looks great. Y'all can't see, see it, but he's got a great bro? nose ring. Do you see the blonde? <laughs> bro, when he went blonde, I knew it was over. I was like, oh, it's Holland's summer. I'm sorry, Dylan. <laughs> Run your podcast. This yeah, right. is this is your podcast. This is not friend. a takeover. Nah. <laughs> 
No, I'm having too much fun already. So um, we're starting off with a slightly different question this time. And it's one that I usually say for the end, or at least I have for the last like two. So um, what's the last movie or show that y'all both watched either by yourselves or together and that you had strong feelings about? It doesn't have, it could be good or bad, whatever the fuck, like strong feelings. Hmm. Well, earlier today, we were something that we collectively watched recently enough is this documentary called I don't remember the name of it, but it's Z Boys is in the title. Yeah. It's about like the inception of skateboarding. Ooh, and, cool. Yeah, in like Venice. And they made a, a narrative film about it called Lords of Dogtown, which has like Keith Ledger and Emile Hirsch. If you've seen yeah, that, I, yeah. Yeah, I've seen Lords of Dogtown. Good shit. I thought it was awesome. So we were talking about that earlier today, which is a pretty cool thing. Just thinking a lot about being like kind of early in a specific scene, especially with respect to the type of stuff that we try to do, which is kind of like be in the scene of the scene and kind of like document it in a little bit of a dirtier behind the scenes kind of a way so that's something that i can speak of that we've both seen recently and then you got one yo that you that you alone saw to piggyback off of that real fast when holland came to atlanta to do a rap portrait that we haven't announced yet so i'm not going to talk about it mm-hmm. but we caught a flat tire after we shot after doing the shoot and we it was an odd flat tire. Like we, we didn't have a spare, so we couldn't change it. So we had to wait for someone to come bring us a tire. And he pulls out a skateboard. So he starts like telling me how he's been skateboarding and he's really getting into it, X, Y, Z. So fast forward, we're in New Orleans. We're talking about the Z-Boys. I didn't know he saw that documentary. Like mm. I saw it years ago. I saw it maybe like four or five years ago, like a long time ago. And he, was just, he just brought it up and I was like, this sounds like the Z-Boys. So it's a great skate doc. Like, I feel like if you if you're into skateboarding or you're in a Tony Hawk pro skater, like any kind of like cultural interest in skating, you got to watch that doc because it's just going to fill you with so much appreciation for skateboarding. And I think we both have that now. I don't skate. I got on his board once. He got a video. Of it, I got but, a video of it. But <laughs> so we have a skate. We got a mixtape video skating down the Let's go. I'll be a skateboarder if I'm a rapper for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll make that jump. I'll hit a half pipe before I jump into a boot. But uh, damn, I'm, wow. <laughs> bro, I am not a rapper. Um, but movies, 400 blows, bro. Mm, I think wow. we talked. I think we talked about that before. I got into French cinema. Old school. Uh, new wave. I think 1959. Oh yeah, yeah. Black and white. Amazing, amazing movie. And I, I was watching it. I was watching it in the background for something. I was working on a piece. I had to play in the background. And within the first 10 to 15 minutes, I stopped working. I just started watching. I didn't stop watching until the very end. And it just follows this kid through his adolescence. And him just kind of being a little bit a rebellious 12-year-old. And he's just him and his parents aren't clicking. You can just tell he's he's coming of age. But the way they do it was so excellent. I just I don't think I've ever seen someone take me through someone's story and make me feel something for a character who was not like a good person. He wasn't a good right. guy. But by the end of it, you're just like, I want to know what happens to this kid. And it gives me what we want to do with rap portraits is that we, by the end of it, I don't necessarily need you to be like, I, I want to download all their music. Oh, I want to uh, go to the next concert. I just want you to know what happens next is what I care about. Because if I can make you feel what happens next, then you'll follow them until you feel satisfied. And that's the only thing that we're trying to do. We're trying to satisfy this need to give people something of interest. 
Right. Um, Sound of Metal is my favorite thing that I've watched recently. Still haven't seen it. I'm gonna fix that this weekend, or maybe 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 not this weekend, but like at some point because I really want to. I love um I I love Riz Ahmed. He's great. Yeah, watch it immediately. Fantastic. Hell I don't yeah. anything about it until you've seen it, but highly recommended on the side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it new? Yeah. yeah. Last year. Uh-huh. Last year. Yeah, it it, it it got nominated for best picture at the Oscars, right? Even though like no one nobody gives a shit about the Oscars anymore, but I think it did. It got that indie validation. Right. <laughs> there was a lot of cool movies that got nominated for an Oscar last year because none of the like blockbuster movies came out because they couldn't get the return on the bread. So yeah, right. So it's kind of cool indie movies. Yeah, Nomadland was in there. Right, Nomad. Yeah, yeah, and I saw Nomadland and I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. Um, I know Minari got nominated too, which I really I haven't seen that either. But um, yeah, I haven't seen that. Oh, my roommate seen it. I was gonna holler. <laughs> um, before we move on. I wanted to jump on 400 blows because I haven't seen it since I was in film school um, back uh, almost a decade ago. Oh, but uh, um, I went to um, I went to SUNY Purchase, cool. upstate New York, or, or not upstate, um, right outside of New York, also, but like Did on the like other that side. Experience? It was fun. I, I and, and like I wouldn't even call it like, like I was a cinema studies major. I wasn't like a film major, but I was like. I basically went to like learn about the history of film and like make a few things here. But I didn't really even make anything. I just, I wanted to be a film critic at that time. And yeah. uh, I just, you know, I had a great time. Just like, it, it, it really just confirmed that I knew what I wanted to do, which was just write about everything, <laughs> but especially music and, or, or especially movies and then eventually music. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I had more fun. I had more fun running around and see through Jason masks at parties than I did in classes most of the time. <laughs> but like, I was still a good time. Purchase was awesome. I still talk to a lot of those people to this day. Shout out to Connor. Shout out to Elise. I think they're listening right now. Maybe I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, Adam, everybody shout out to all my purchase family, all my nerf people. Cool. <laughs> I didn't go. I thought, so I always ask people what their experience was like. I wish I went to film school. I know man. that sounds fun. I feel like that, I feel like that's what I'm doing now. Watching movies is just going to film school. Yeah, uh, honestly, yeah. <laughs> like, like honestly, like watching stuff and then like doing research on it and like coming away with the stuff that you just came like. That's yeah. basically it. That's it, it, like, or at least like cinema studies school is that. Film school is something yeah. else entirely. But, <laughs> but like cinema study is exactly where I'm in in my life right now. But what were you gonna say about 400 blows? Um, it's tight and everyone should watch it because it's on HBO Max because the Criterion Collection is on there and go do that because culture or something. Culture. Culture. The whole Criterion <laughs> Collection is on HBO Max right now? Al- almost all of it. That's oh. what I saw with it. Yeah. Um, oh, almost wow. all of it. Yeah. Why do I pay for the Criterion channel? Then? Oh, I, th- I, I think they have exclusives. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. There's a reason. Like they do stuff. They they have like exclusives or something. Like they might have some of like the newer joints. Like like I just bought Parasite, um, the Blu-ray of Parasite on the Criterion Collection. So like okay. that's not going to be on HBO Max. I, even and though I think it's a great movie, great one, amazing, great movie. so amazing. Like Bong Joon Ho deserves. I think I just said his name wrong. He deserves every award and more. He's 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 been grinding for like 15 years, more than 15 years. Like. Yeah. fucking the, the host and shit and mother and um or, yeah mo- the host mother was it mother okay not mother but it's uh train the one with the train snow yeah snow piercer oh, okay. yeah no he, he definitely made a movie was it called mother 
Memories of the Murder. Um, damn. Does he also have a movie called Mother? It's not that like freaky Jennifer that, Lawrence yeah. one. Though. No, 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 no. Yeah. Definitely not that one. Yeah, no, no. He, no, he, no. He has a movie called Mother too from two thousand nine. Does he? Is he the Freddie Gibbs of cinema? Wow. In what sense? That's what this podcast is all about. Well, right there. because yeah, you already 15, know. <laughs> Fifteen years to break through. Mm-hmm. That's what Freddie is like. It took him a longer journey to get right. to the Grammys. But when he got there, he was so developed. He had a style. He had a voice. He had production. Like he was able to build his worlds way more precise and concise because he had all that training. I feel like right. you take the longer route to break through. By the time you get there, you're completely developed. You don't need any development anymore. And, I, and when I saw Parasite, I was like, oh, this is a complete thought. But his storytelling is impeccable. Yeah. I just feel like that's through all the years of grinding it out. And it's crazy because he was already so fully developed before all of that, too. Like, like Mother is crazy. Snowpiercer is crazy. And he almost... Uh, like the release of Snowpiercer got fucked up because of the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. Like Harvey Weinstein wanted him to cut part of the movie and he was like, fuck you, I'm not doing it. So they, so they blue balled him and they, and they kind of like cut out a lot of Snowpiercer's like publicity. And I think it was going to be up for awards and they were like, no. So like, so like he, so like you could even, you could even go further with the Fe- the Freddie comparison because like Freddie also had a whole bunch of deals fall through and a whole bunch of other shit. So, you know, that's, well, you're on, yeah, I just throw ideas at the hoop and he dunks them. Like, that's how I know I can just trust Dylan. Because he's going to be like, oh, yeah, let me show you how that makes sense. There's going to be like four or five articles that are going to come. Yeah, from the podcast. <laughs> oh, my podcast. God. <laughs> we create good ideas. That's it. Yeah. We create good ideas. Man, we all do. Yeah, for real. Like, like y'all are already inspiring me so much. And this has been, we're, we're, we're not even, we're not even five questions in, and this is already, <laughs> damn. Really <laughs> yeah. Right. So, all right going. so, okay. So now I'm gonna ask the, the, what used to be the first question. What's the first movie experience you can remember having? It could be at your cousin's house, at the theater, wherever, like the first time you consciously remember consuming a movie. What was that like? Can I go first? Yeah, of course. Mufasa dying. Okay. Mufasa died in Lion King. I had to be, I don't know what year Lion King came out. I had to be between five and seven. And for whatever reason, that stuck with me. Seeing, like, I can visibly see that moment in my mind 24-7. I can reference Lion King in everything because it just feels so real to whatever I was doing. Like, as a kid, like, every scene of that movie stuck with me every song every moment it was colorful it was fun it was dangerous it was about hierarchy it was about class it was about coming of age like Lion King's about everything it's about life yeah and for whatever reason my parents took us to see i'm pretty sure it took me my brothers my cousins and just stuck with me man i can't tell you i brought that we probably had amc on the south side and it was just, it was just the movie. Like, I'm always trying to make Lion King at the end of the mm. day. That's the, that's the movie I'm always trying to make. Yeah, I feel it. That was the first movie I ever saw in a theater, too. So I get yeah. it. Like, that was, yeah, just very um, crazy, crazy, really quick story. I was, um, my dad and I were driving somewhere. Must have been like a month ago. 
and we were coming home. I forget where it was. Uh, Dad, if you're listening, remind me later because I don't remember where we were coming from. But uh, we were in Milburn, New Jersey, which is the first theater I ever went to as a kid. And he had been trying to remember where it was and what it was called. And we drove past it. And he was like, Dylan, there it is. And I looked at it and I was like, wow, because I hadn't been there since I saw that movie or at least I can't remember. But yeah, so like Lion King is also extremely important to me for that reason. So I feel it. Lovely. I think likewise, Lion King was the first movie that I saw too. Surprisingly, I don't really remember it though. I've just been told that that was my first movie. I'm gonna go a little later in my life. And the first movie I can like yeah. really remember being in a theater and like having a thrilling experience for was when I was in middle school and we like snuck in to watch Superbad, like Ooh. the rated R kind of thing. And it was just so goddamn funny. And <laughs> like, <laughs> I still really love Superbad and watched it this day. And it's actually like a really excellent like masterclass in screenwriting for like a Hollywood movie because like the goal is very clear and it's like they're just trying to get alcohol to this party and the whole movie is kind of about that one thing and then hijinks ensues but it's really the way my mind works I always try to make a movie about too many things and you know that that's a movie about two dudes trying to get alcohol to a party like three dudes really and then in the end yeah it's about friendship but you know what I mean like <laughs> like make, make a story about one thing and then it'll be about the other things you know after that, that's I, I kind of still think about Superbad sometimes when I'm writing so, scripts. Yeah. So piggyback off Holland, right? I love Superbad. I thought the movie's ridiculous, but I went to oh dang, it wasn't Superbad. It was a screening of Project X. Oh yeah, that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's another wow. one of those like house Jeez. party turnout films, but they were having a Pusha T concert after the film. It was a screening, and after this film. Pushy was performing. That's such a good idea. But you had to be. Right, that is such a good idea. Wow. You had to be 21 and up, and I was only 20. Yeah. So Damn. we snuck in because I used my boy's ID. I don't look anything like him. Security did not look at that ID at all. And I was able to get in. This is the first time I was stuck in anywhere to watch Pusha T perform. <laughs> it was great. It was wonderful. It was such a good time. That came out when I was in high school and like a senior in high school. And yeah. there was this one like Project X party that was I'm sure this happened all across the country, but there was this one in Durham that was thrown and the people that threw it like got arrested and couldn't graduate type thing. Damn. It like really went up. That's a good reason not to graduate. A party. Honestly. Uh, yeah. It's like a Project a, X party. Yeah. Like a project. Like I still remember those dudes and I didn't even know. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. You gotta, you gotta leave your mark, <laughs> Leave your yeah, mind. Durham legends. No one's gonna remember you walking the stage, but they might remember the party you threw that you didn't graduate. It's like my man right. that his high school graduation. Yeah, Metro Mars yeah. threw five thousand dollars and he graduated. You a legend, bro. Uh, you a legend. <laughs> like that graduating class will never forget the way you made it rain and got arrested. Wow. You're a star. You're a star. You know, you know, you know what's hilarious? That's um my junior year at college. I I stayed in this I stayed in this upper apartment where we threw one party. It was a crazy fun party, but we only ever threw one party. But there was this like dip in the floor, like near the corner. And we were always terrified that if we had too many people on that dip, the shit was gonna collapse. And yeah. it did, but like a year or two after we weren't in the apartment there was a party happening there it was a huge story in the area like the the the, the floor just collapsed and just like emptied into the fucking apartment downstairs and like that's sometimes like 
all those people who threw that party, I'm sure they're all legends too. Shout out to whoever that is. I didn't know any of those people, but like, that's like, that's a moment. Like, I, like, I don't want to say I wish that happened to us, but I almost kind of wish that happened to us. Oh, like, Did you really throw a party at the floor didn't cave in? Like, is it a party? It's not a party. That happened It to me almost caved in. <laughs> we, were at, we were in an attic for like a house party and no one knew whose house it was. And we were just like hanging out up there and then straight up like the floor, like the, I guess it was the roof, but it was the floor to us collapses. And we just fell into the room right below, which is all it just fell right down. Wow. It happened so fast. And then we were out of there. Jeez, if you're man. listening to this podcast and that was your house, like, I'm terribly sorry about that. You're just gone after that. Damn. And that's the takeaway from this podcast is you got to fall through the floor if you can. Honestly, yeah, fall through the floor. Like, don't, don't, don't be afraid to fall through the floor. Be because to fall through the floor because it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. It's honestly, bad. it's not. Like, you know, like once it's over, you're, you're, you're just gone. Like, it's like the story of Icarus. Like, he flew too close to the sun. He was probably like, this is not that bad. Falling into the water. That's not the moral of that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I really do believe. You got to think about it. Would you rather fly too close to the sun and yeah. fall into the water or, or never fly too close to the sun? Like, I feel like you'll always spend your entire life wondering what happens if I get too high. That's why you got to tell people it's okay to fall to the floor because then it allows them to fly. It allows them, yeah, to throw yeah. the Project X party. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only way. Like, if you don't believe that falling to the floor is not that bad, you're going to be afraid that you're going to fall your entire life. And you wow, can't yeah. be afraid to fall. Or fly. Or fly. Depending on which metaphor yeah. you're, like, is They're, they're the same theory. metaphor, bro. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I agree 100%, but some Greek philosopher is really mad at you right now. Would really disagree. I know it. Sorry. But that's the dialectic <laughs> that it's all about. Yeah. I'll argue. I'm, I'm ready to debate. That's just having a healthy discourse. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> all podcasts are a healthy discourse. That's it. Yeah, honestly. Like, that's really all it is. Um. So, okay, Holland already gave an answer to this question. So I guess, yeah, I'll ask yo, um, what what was the movie that made you fall in love with movies? Like, you're not just like taking it in anymore. You're like really tapped in and like engaging with it. Like, when did that happen for you? Hmm. That's a good question. I have um, a different one. I can step in, yo. Yeah, go ahead. Think about think about it. It. Yeah, go yeah ahead. let's go. It's not super bad. It's actually, the movie that made me want to make movies was strangely this movie called Drinking Buddies by Joe Swanberg. He was like this mumblecore guy uh from chicago who makes like five movies a year and it was just such a downtone and like normal life like real life kind of situation and it was the first time i'd ever seen something like that and i was like wow like i could just really make a movie like it doesn't have to be some big kind of blockbuster like superhuman extreme situation like you can kind of make movies about everyday stuff and it's a little bit of like a a small it's just a small movie. It's a small movie about like two couples at a lake house. Like I'm sure they made it because they like had a lake house and the actors would do it. But right. to me, it was like, oh shit, dude, like I can make a movie too. And that was like, honestly, the movie that I side with and just blew me away how naturalistic it was. And I've kind of been after that vibe like that's, kind of since then. That's pretty amazing. I like that a ton. And yeah, like Mumblecore is a movement that doesn't get talked about a lot. Cause like, I remember when I first saw Wildflower and that shit kind of blew my mind. Like I didn't like know what I was watching and I was like, this just looks dope. And I watched it and like my brain fell out of my ear. I was like, damn, what is this? <laughs> so shout out to Mumblecore for sure. Uh, so a little bit about me. 
what was cool growing up was my parents, but specifically my aunts, would take us to the movies. Like, I got two cousins who are like brothers. So whenever we would hang out, they were like, let's take the boys to the movies. So movie going was like an experience. It wasn't so much about the movies. It was the experience of going to the theater, smelling the popcorn, hanging out with your bros. Like, going to the movies was fun. Yeah. But when I started to get into movies was, hey, I had to be 20, maybe whenever Moonlight came out, whatever year that was, because me and a friend, we decided to go to the movies. We didn't have a movie plan. She had to work at a certain time. So let's say we got to be like 10 a.m. We're trying to go to like the matinee. We go to the movies. The only movie playing at the time that fit our schedule was Moonlight. I never saw a trailer for Moonlight. I never saw anything from Moonlight. So we go in, oh, let's watch this. Dude, the first half of that movie feels like the fucking wire, right? So I'm going to watching drug dealers. I'm seeing drugs being sold. I'm seeing Cadillacs. It looks like, the, like a hood film. And then it just transitions into this completely beautiful coming of age story that I did not see. Like, there's not a moment in that movie I saw coming. Not one. And by like halfway through, she starts crying. Like, <laughs> I don't think she was ready to cry that morning, but it was just, I was like, are you okay? She was like, she's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I just never, I had such a visceral reaction to that movie that I'd never had before. And I've always been chasing visceral reactions. I want to sit down and watch something and, and feel like I don't know what's about to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen to this character. I don't know how he's going to grow up. Like I had so many questions and I knew the way it ended that there would never be another, like I'll never see it again. Like there'll never be another sequel to it. Like you have to take in the entire experience right? and like live with that. Moment to so moment type shit, that, yeah. When I saw that movie, like Barry Jenkins, I was just like, oh, you're different. You're making like, that's high art to me. Moonlight's high art. So, yeah, when I saw Moonlight, a lot of that theater completely different because I, I saw something that I didn't see before, and it was just transformation. Man, like you're the you're probably the third or fourth person I've talked to on this podcast who's mentioned Moonlight too. Like that's really that's like that's su that's such a movie. Like it's it like like it really awoke something in so many different people. Like it like 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 not even just like that's the one I really love. Like that's the one that really made me pay attention to movies. Yeah. Like it's really amazing to see how many people like connected. Cause like I remember when I saw it, like I was already like deep into the film shit at the time. So like I'm watching it and I knew I watched it and was like, oh, this is gonna be one we're talking about in 20 years. Like I like like when um I always forget Andre Holland's character's name, but when Chiron and Andre Holland are like having that speech in the kitchen, I was yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, when he like he puts his head on him and then it's a flashback to the thing. Yeah, gas. I was I, I I I was I was I was like, nah, this is this is it. This is an all-timer. Like this and is then an all-timer. And then and, and then when um 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 when Chiron is like you're the only man who ever touched me I I, I just I, I like I didn't cry in the theater but like I wanted to, like like that was one of the only times I like I don't know not one of the only times but like that was a time I wanted to cry but I didn't like I was like I really wish I was crying right now <laughs> like it just hit me so far it's emotional so far, man. man and it's yeah. emotional in the most subtle way that yeah. movie does not like punch you in the face like it like shanks you. It's a little shank, 
And by the time you know it, like, it didn't hit an organ. It didn't hit something. You didn't even know it was going to hit something. And now it hit something. And now you're just, like, leaking. You're crying out. That's what I'm saying. When she started crying, I looked at her. I was like, are you okay? Because <laughs> it builds up to this climax that happens, like, 10 seconds before the movie ends, which is mm. just that he finally gets to be who he is. And then it's over. And, it, and you don't necessarily know that's where it's going at all until it happens and then it's over another movie that i had a, a very similar like it's over and it just like all sinks in and like seeps through your body at once was watching the last black man in san francisco which is I like i still haven't seen it oh, I'm mad at myself. yeah and yeah there's a shot there's a scene at the very end where he's just on a i won't spoil it for for you specifically please, Dylan, but it's please just watch, watch that movie the last the last shot of that movie just yeah, it's, had me, it's had an me amazing really viscerally. I think I went reacting. to a movie with someone like, that cried whew. during that movie too. That's another movie I was like, I went hanging out with a friend, and she was like, "Let's go watch this movie." I never saw anything about it. I'm in the theater, I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, "Is this the greatest movie I've ever seen?" Because it's up, it's so good, it's so good. It's halfway through, you're just transfixed. Not like the way it's cut, the way it's edited, the way it's colored, the way it's the acting, everything about that movie. Mike Epps is in that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the best Mike Epps role since Friday, in my opinion. Yeah. Like he's so Mike Epps. And it's just like, it's just everything in that movie works. And when it ends, both that and Moonlight, you, you sort of got to walk out the theater quiet. You don't really, you're not loud. You're not a plot. Like it just sinks in. And I feel like a good movie does that. Like a good movie leaves you with so much to digest that it's like you just had a hearty meal and you got to go home and sit down and think about what you just had. Yeah. You got to talk or, or talk about it with people because that's one 100%. thing I love to do. About it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. After I watch a movie, I always got to talk about it with somebody, even if it's just to me, like me just like recording myself talking about it. Like I got to talk about it. Like it's just, it, it has to get out, like, or else it won't feel right. I don't know. And, right. And that's why I miss Roger Ebert so much. Because when I watch old films, I, first thing I do, I read an Ebert review. Yeah, I got to know what he thought about it. I always felt like the way he wrote about films was the way I want to write about music. I want to be that guy where it's like he captures it so well that it's just who else needs to write about films? He should like that's his one role in life. Like you should be able to write about films and do nothing else. Yep. It was that good. It was that impressive. And yeah. the saddest thing about having new movies is we don't have new Ebert reviews. Yeah. And he was he was so good at he was so good at finding the middle ground between like between like being classy and cultured and just being like a regular person. And that's yeah. a really hard balance to attain for anybody in anything, but especially something that's like that so many people. Well, I don't even know that people see film as like a pretentious thing because like everybody has some sort of relationship with movies, even if you don't like them that much, like you've seen a movie and you get what the experience of watching a movie is like. Right. So. Right. And like, I think that's what makes film writing and just like film. It's like, I think that's what makes it so easy to connect. E- even if it's like a negative experience, like it's just kind of like we snapped with that shit. Like we did that humans made film. And like, that's like one of that, 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 that and music are probably my two picks for like our greatest contribution to the universe. Like wow. that's what the aliens are going to find. Like <laughs> we may agree with that, Dylan. That is a profound thought 
My Ebert was always Anthony Lane, though, I, and he's still around Anthony writing Lane. for the New Yorker. Yeah. Okay. He, he didn't have the same thing where it's like he's an everyman that's writing about it. His is like I'm gonna learn something about like the history of movies when I'm reading this review. He'll tell you about like three movies from 1940 that were like kind of had the same plot, and then and then also same <laughs> something really like cheeky about the studio or something like that. But I always feel like I'm kind of learning something, and it's like really entertaining review. So I'm always right. I'm always headed over to New Yorker. That's so important too. Yeah. That's so important too. Like, like you should also be able to trust. You should also be able to trust the people that you're like reading in 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 that regard. And if you can like trust them to give you that type of info and make it entertaining and engaging, like that's also extremely. That's also another extremely hard balance to hit because like you can because like you can you can be informative, but you could also just be an encyclopedia. And like encyclopedias are boring. Let's be straight. Let's be real. Like, so. um you yeah. never want to be boring. You just no. don't. Because even if you're right, who wants to be right and boring? Exactly. You know? Or right and pretentious. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. Ex- oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I like to be quiet and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to be quiet and wrong. What's the yeah, what's exactly. the point of that? <laughs> what's the yeah. point of that? If a tree falls in the forest and you're wrong, uh, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Like I want people to know I dropped the tree. That's the thing. Right. Like, I'm not going to be, I need Holland to know. Right. That's incredible. So, so let's, so like, so like y'all are kind of, so like at this point, at this stage in your guys' lives, like you're developing your tastes. And let's bring this to the other side of the tracks. When did y'all first fall in love with music? Mm, it was way earlier for me. It was always about music for me. I came up as a music mm. producer. I played. Mm. I mean, my dad ran a recording studio in New Orleans, so I grew up kind of like living in a music studio. Okay. Like as soon as I can remember, I wanted to be an artist. I was playing piano. Like as soon as like Dawes kind of dropped into my world when I was like in high school, I started making beats. And so like when I was in college, yeah, I was going to be a music producer the whole time. That's what got me into rap too. I mean, it was I was into rap before I was making beats, but that's it was kind of like dovetailed really when I was in college and I started producing for folks in, uh, in North Carolina. So for me, yeah, music, music was really early on. It was, I think the way you said it, Dylan, where it's just hearing live music, which is something that's been such a, you know, void in all of our lives for a year, just thinking about that, dude, I was watching Uzi perform tour life on YouTube and I like got chills. Like that's how badly I need live music again. You know what I mean? But it just really is that experience where you, when you're when you're at a show with an artist that like has some indescribable meaning to you, like it just does not get better than that. It's the most powerful thing. And very similar to what we were talking about with watching like a movie like Moonlight or something that really resonates with you on a visceral level. It's just like those are the two things in my life as well, Dylan, that are like unassailable and, and kind of, you know, why we've made the decisions that we've made to kind of devote our lives to those two things. Right. You know? And being on yeah. the creative side of it as well. I love that Holland. I love that Holland used to be a producer. Yeah, I didn't know the, that. A lot of like the scoring on rap portraits is just like Holland's beats. Like a lot of like the textures and tones stuff. Like I never thought having a music producer be a filmmaker would make my life easier, but it does. Because if we just need music for stuff, because music is rhythm, right? So if you have a rhythm for scenes, you have a rhythm for trailers and stuff, you need music. So just to know we have Holland's Rolodex of production, we can always score. I think that's what makes me a good editor too, because I think Mm -hmm. it's kind of of the same piece about having like a sense of rhythm and having a sense of like 
when to go from one thing to the next and also oh, say that say yeah, that film is such an <laughs> aggregate art form too that like when it's just yo and i having like a really balanced tone or like a really specific tone i think like being on the creating side of everything down to the music i think helps us like strike that specific tone which is what ties together all of the rap portraits i think and like i think we've really found something that we can replicate and we're a good balance too there's things that holland sees that i don't see there's things that i see he doesn't see so we're always like trading ideas like his ability to shoot things i trust him 100 to do the shooting like i don't have to have any input and when he when he edits things down and we're starting piecing things together it's like it's a constant back and forth a constant back and forth he'll try something like you like this show i'll suggest something like you like this holland so by the end of the process we have something that feels like a bit of him and a bit of me. That's how we did Lavi. That's how we did Earth King. This is how we're doing Pale and all the ones coming forward. Uh, I fell in love with music. It's funny because I think I fell in love with movies first because I was having the movie experience before I had a live concert experience. Right. My parents, they didn't take us to shows. I think my parents went to a concert. I don't know why, but they did not do concerts. Like no one was yeah. like, hey, let's take the boys to a show, like, nah. But parents had a skating rink. So going to the skating rink, and my parents own a skating rink now, but before they were managing a skating rink when I was like six or seven, eight at the oldest. So I used to take a skating at a spot called the Decatur Family Skate Center in Atlanta. And there was a DJ that had a bin of CDs. So we can go and take any CD from the bin. And I think the first CD I took was AT Aliens Outcast. Costa Cover mm -hmm. just looked like, oh, this is cool. Let me let me pick this up. And I think I've always just been picking up CDs from Benz. That's just that became my life, picking up CDs from Benz, playing them, being enamored by them, studying them, and then picking them back in the bin and picking another album up and going through the same process. So I started making mixed CDs in high school because I had a CD burner. For whatever reason, you had line wire and a CD burner, you could make five dollars every day <laughs> so it would send me lists of like lists of songs they would want me to burn on a cd and i will go home with like five or six lists a day or a week and i was just burning cds and take them back to school and sell them so like i was known as the cd guy so people would come to me to get their cds mixed you're and already hustling like, at that point that's so oh, crazy yeah. to me <laughs> we were uh, hungry yeah so doing hustling <laughs> in school man, i used to make cds for teachers like i mean i was telling everybody, <laughs> That's everybody OD. anybody can get one. anyone can get oh a my CD. god maybe i was a rapper i don't know i mean <laughs> but uh doing that and then i graduated and i just kept playing music like music became like the most important thing to me because I was just so in love with it. Like, I, I don't even know when it happened, but before I knew it, I couldn't go a day without hearing a song. I couldn't go a day without playing an album. And it just became like, my what I wanna do in my life is just listen to my favorite songs. That just that just became, that's why I became a music journalist. I didn't become a music journalist to work. I became a music journalist to listen to music. That was it, like, that's yeah. all I wanted to do. Wow, you more you more or less answered all no not all the individual questions I have for you, but you like but you like touched on you you already touched on a few of them, so that's that's crazy. But before we get into that, 
I wanted to get back to what Holland was saying about live music and just like having that, having that moment and that like connection. Cause um, that like, I went to shows when I was younger, right? I didn't like, like I went to a handful, like my parents would take me to a few shows. The first concert I ever went to was an NSYNC show when they toured No Strings Attached. Um, Pink, okay. Pink opened for them. It was right when she had put out her first album when everybody thought she was black and she's not. Oh, she's wow. not she's not black y'all she's 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 just not Birth news <laughs> but um <laughs> but uh and then it like there were other shows i'd been to and like other like concerts and things but like the two that i remember from my childhood more than any other were the instinct show and then my dad took me to see prince mm-hmm. when musicology ah, came out yeah it was it was me my dad and my two cousins my cousin indira my cousin paul we went to see Prince at um, MetLife Stadium, which used to be just the Jet Stadium in Jersey, uh, in East Rutherford. And he, this was when Musicology came out, like one of his, one of like the three or four albums he dropped before he died. And seeing Prince play that guitar was one of the first moments, like when I was like, damn, like I had heard the album so many times because we had run it into the ground at that point. But like seeing him play the guitar, I was like, fuck, like this is insane. And then the first concert I went to by myself was in college. I saw um, it was They Might Be Giants. (laughs) I saw They Might Be Giants. And then that was when I was like, yeah, I got to like shows are my thing now. Like I'm going to every show ever, forever. Like (laughs) I just knew that that was it. And um, it's uh that connection, not having that for a year was honestly a lot. It was a lot. I went to my first show after, like, I don't even, like I said before, I don't want to call it like post COVID because COVID's not going anywhere. And so many people have died, but like, but like I went to my first. Not to cut you off. Our last show was together. The last show we went to was together. Wow. Yeah. The one in Tulsa. Damn. We was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Who y'all saw? The locals, like every person that was in Tulsa, they, they, it was crazy. So the itinerary was that every night they had set up a concert for us to see, like, just you and Dylan. Nah, for all the, all of us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They invited a bunch of journalists to come to Tulsa. So they were teaching us about the Black Wall Street massacre and it was teaching us about Mm -hmm. like the local music scene. So Mm -hmm. the first half of the day was always about history. They would take us into like museums, they would take us into like rec centers, they would, take us to like landmarks and then at night they would take us to the concert venues so like the first night was more like rap centric and the second night was like they had like bands and everything it was very cool yeah it was tight i saw all the rappers out of tulsa because like you guys really made us feel welcomed and they they performed the album that night um the album that just came out the fire little africa album yeah 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 cool It was fire. Yeah. Dylan's with me. Right 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Me and Dylan just there. Yeah, the whole night. Like, what What was it? Like, three, two or three nights in a row, bro. son? Like, man, look. When I'm in was Atlanta, it fun? Being in a studio is fun until it's really not. No. It was fun. It was fun the whole time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Holland, Holland has hung with me in Atlanta. He's like, yo, you just hang out in the studio for two hours? Like, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Wait, when I was with Dylan, like, all the other journalists would go back to the room and then me and Dylan, it's just me and Dylan, the rappers, 3 a.m. And then we'll go back and then we'll do it again the next night. Yeah. Just up, 3, 4 a.m. talking to everybody. We just ended up just chilling. And that's all I liked about Dylan is he, he could hang. I don't like people who can't hang Amen. because it's like, don't make me go to the room early because I'm waiting to see the thing. 
I'll wait here all night for it. I'll wait till yeah. 5, 6 a.m. Because I know once I see it, then I can go. But if I don't see it and you make me leave early, I'm going to be high. Yeah, what was I here for? Yeah. But so Dylan was just down. He was just down the hang. This is the first time I ever met Dylan, too. So we had never met before. Oh, wow. And yeah, you're not in person anyway. Yeah. At all, yeah. yeah. I remember he came in. I was in the room. Oh, it was, so, it was so much fun. That was so much fun. So the last thing to do for like before social gatherings to have a social gathering, it was fun. It was fucking no, fun. Yeah. That, yeah. That was definitely a great like last joint before the end of the world. That shit was beautiful. Shout out to everybody. <laughs> Shout yeah, out to everybody in beautiful. Tulsa, man. That was amazing. That's how you go out, right? You go do a music conference before the world ends. Right. And then like going from that to nothing for over a year and then going on uh, Pink Sifu and Fly Anakin and a whole bunch of other people held a show in Hoboken. And I was like, oh, I just had them on the podcast. Shout out to Liv and Frank. I just had them on. And I was like, I got to go see them. Like I would be like it was 20. It's 20 minutes in my house. I had to be there. So I just showed up and they had this like it was in a it was in a um, it was in a thrift store more or less called top shelf premium and they like the stage was the front window of the thing so like they would all perform on the stage and you could either watch from inside the cramped ass store or you could watch from right from outside and they kept the door open so it was just like you could do whatever you wanted and just like it was only maybe like it, it couldn't have been more than like 40 or 50 people and it was beautiful like i really like i was so emotional just being around people and like experiencing live music again and just like it just touched my soul i was like i missed this like i can't believe i went a like it's it, it sounds so frivolous but like i can't believe i went a year without that kind of connection with people like forget just the music like just being around people and experiencing a thing together like that's kind of what makes that so special and that's what you were talking about before holland and yeah i just i i, I couldn't possibly agree more like that shit is too crucial like 100 man and it's this it's the like medium-sized shows too that are always my favorite like the shows at like a 200 cap room or something like that where you're seeing somebody who like especially I coming from Durham where I lived, there's not a lot of really big venues. So like a lot of people would kind of downsize and play the rooms that we had available to them. And so I've seen like all sorts of, I saw Anderson pack at like a half full, like there were maybe like 150 people there like a few years ago, Man. gold link Saba, just like all, all the people I really like a lot have come through Durham and just to see them in a room with, it's not overwhelming. Like I saw Kendrick too, and like a huge lawn type outdoor thing. And it like, honestly was not as enjoyable to me than being in that room surrounded by people just like packed in with people where everyone is way into the artists and they're not going yeah. in. Cause like they had a significant other who dragged them there. How'd you like, right. how do you like <laughs> I the feel Dreamville it. festival? Yeah. Were you at Dreamville? No, no. not yet. One day, that not was yet. Yo and I were there together. It was we we saw Cole together at the end of the night. That was the yeah. best, man. That, that was, was that was a great. fantastic show. It was a weird setup because it was like two stages only in a huge field, and they were on either ends of the field, so they couldn't stack. They couldn't have sets playing simultaneously because the sound bled into each other. So they would have one set on this side, right? And everyone would just literally turn around <laughs> and like walk to the other well, side and see it. the next set, and then it would just kind of, it was like popping back and forth like that. And everyone was just in a good mood. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And like, you didn't have no phone service, right? 
So mm-hmm. that was the somehow, other thing. It was fantastic. Yeah. Somehow I found this guy and all of that madness. It's like a I don't even know how many people there. Let's say it was like thirty thousand people there. Football field size for like outdoors, two stages. You got people coming back and forth. Lordez was there. Uh, hey. I, I drove down with uh, Ja, Jason from uh, Bossa. Uh-huh. Shout out, Jason. <laughs> we just, bro, and we just Lordez. And Lordez. We had a blast. And I saw, I found Holland. And I found Holland right before Cole performed. So, like, we watched Cole together. And it was just, it was magic, bro. It was just magic. And I, I just remember leaving just feeling, like, recharged. Like, oh, yeah, we're ready for this next phase. And I feel like that was, what was your That was in 2019. That was, yeah. like, the summer of 2019, I think. But, like, me and Holland, because I interviewed Holland for Hype. Yep. And then, this is the funny story. I don't think I've told this on the podcast before. But Fonte texted me about Holland. Mm. And Fonte has had my number since our first interview, which was, like, in 2017, 2018. He's never texted me. He texted me. It was late. He was like, you got to know this guy. And it was Holland. And I was like, all right. So I interviewed him. And we just stayed connected. So after Dreamville, we kept talking. And we were just kind of like, we want to do something. We were talking about documentaries. We were talking about, like, day in the lives. Like, everything we were talking about. And then all of a sudden, a situation appeared. Like, Mavi appeared. And it was just exactly what we needed to try out this idea that was in our heads. And once we tried the idea out, then we had a project. Then we had Rap Porches. It was just an idea. It was just a thought. It was just a thought that we kept sharing. And then before we knew it, the shot, like the thought had realized itself into that first episode. And since then, we've just been rocking and rolling. Man, I love, I love that story, especially considering especially considering that you two are kind of coming at this from two separate sides of the track here, you know, like that's, um, I think, I think that's one of the things that makes rap portraits so unique as not just an experience. Well, oh, oh yeah, just, yeah, just like as an experience as, some, as cause like you can feel the passion in it and you can feel like this is, if it, like regular isn't the word I want to use, but it just feels like Holland was saying it's intimate. You know, like having that intimacy is like, that's what, that's what, that's what you, that's what you want out of something like that. Most of the time, like you, like it, it, like, it doesn't even have to be like voyeuristic or like fly on the wall type shit. Just like being there. It's like, and, and like, that's different to me than voyeurism. Like it just feels like there's, there's a difference between intimacy and voyeurism, you know? And like, yeah. And undersung part of that too, we were talking about kind of the process about making these documentaries and Yo was talking about me behind the camera, but another part of it too is like, it's a really kind of like intimate social experience being around people. Like, obviously we don't have a big set and we're not like brought in here by the label or by the PR people. It's like, right. you know, texting an artist, like, yo, I know you've got this going on. Like, let me and Holland come and hang out and do this documentary for you. And our pitch to, to the artist is often as well, like, dude, this is going to be a, uh, like a meaningful day in your life. Like, this is the coolest home video type thing you could have for it. Like Hell you're going to yeah. remember this. Like we, we hope that you remember this day fondly and that we can like kind of elevate it and have something that you can keep for the rest of your life as well. And it's not just like me shooting it. It's yo being there and like being in the room and kind of like making everyone feel comfortable and feel like 
like you're saying, the intimacy is cultivated, not just by me being there with camera, but also by Yo being there as a friend. And that's maybe what makes it feel sort of implicitly like it's you're hanging out with the artist because mm -hmm. like we're hanging out with the artist in a way that's not um, as much like, hey, we're here to do a press thing. It's been very welcoming. Right. We have one, I'm not gonna say who it is, but we followed yeah. them the day they bought a house. They bought their first house. So <laughs> Holland drove down from New Orleans and he's in a Tesla, right? Oh, so, I know who this is. <laughs> uh, we're talking about, okay, how are we gonna drive to where the artist signs the papers for the house? And Holland's like, well, I wanna shoot them, but we need them to drive. And we were telling the guys like, hey, why don't you just drive this Tesla? Right. And he's like, bro, I might be too hot for this. I was like, no, 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 you got this. So we get in the car, he's driving the Tesla and like gradually he's becoming more and more comfortable with the car. And by the time we get there, he's like, bro, I need one. So after that portrait, Holly came back to Atlanta for another portrait. We're shooting the portrait. His phone rings, it's the rapper. He's, I was like, what does he want? And he's like asking Holland about Teslas because he wants to buy one now. And it's just like, that's how I know that day is going to be significant for him. Because even if the house isn't significant, this is the day you, you found out you wanted a Tesla. Like, it's all like, I don't, we always bring something to the table. We're going to bring an experience. We're going to bring the, the documentation. We're going to bring our personalities. Like, we work well in rooms. But I think we're just always just really good with making artists feel like people. You know what I'm saying? We make them feel like for a second, you don't have to be that superstar guy. Even with the camera on, you don't have to be that superstar guy. Somehow you like settle into who you are as a person. And it's that personal aspect that I think is going to make rap portraits extremely special. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when you're looking back at the Mavis and he's a superstar, looking back at Earth King as superstars, you're looking back at, you know, all of these guys and you're seeing them at their most personal, at their most honest. And it's just like, where else can you get that? You gotta get it from us. Right. And and I, and there really aren't many examples of that type of shit that I could think of right now. Like 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 while you were explaining all of that, I was trying to think of a show that like really gets at that. And the only one I can think of is something like behind the music and even behind the music is kind of like, that's more like, that's still a little more sensational and a little more like, just like wild than what y'all have going on with rap portraits. We're like in between MTV Cribs and behind the music. Mm -hmm. We're that perfect middle. Cause MTV Cribs is like a day in the life. In your right. house. And behind the music is the curtain being moved. We pitch you behind the curtain. It might not be in our house, but it's going to move the curtain. And it's going to be a day in that life behind the curtain. Right. So it's crazy. And, and, and yeah, and yeah, like even Cribs was doctored as shit. Like the, yeah, like the one, yeah. like. This is pretty sensational too, yeah. Right. The, the, two the two episodes of Cribs I always remember are the Yin Yang Twins one, where they're walking through a house that's clearly not fucking theirs, showing off the boats <laughs> and the fish, and, the, and, and, and they have the pantry full of crunk juice. I'm like, motherfucker, this is not yours. Like, oh, you it. knew they were coming. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And then, and then you have something like Red Man's, where Red Man showed off his real apartment because he was like, my mom told me if I, if I tried to show them some real, she would have been like, that's not his house. That's not Reggie's house. Like, yeah. So like he's so like 
those two poles, you know, like it's kind of like <laughs> it's just like that. And that's not what rap portraits is. Or yeah, or, 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 or rather on the one side. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Like rap portraits is more like it's it's more like the red man type shit where where it's just very yeah. you see that real part yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yo <laughs> i'm so happy that i'm so happy that we actually did this earlier because i was gonna ask about how rap portraits came together like way later but i'm happy we i'm happy we just did that now i don't know why i didn't think about that but i'm happy yeah. y'all did so thank you <laughs> we, we love to tell our story we love i think i was that was a cool story you know, it is a cool even story. sometimes even being in New Orleans, I'm only here because he's here. Like, I feel like he's enriched my life in so many ways. Uh, beyond being just like my business partner, he's just been like a great friend. And, you know, I feel like that's what I would recommend people. Like, if you want to start a business, start a business with a great friend. Not just a good friend. I got some good friends I'm going to start businesses with. Y'all are cool, but we don't need a thing together. But you got a great friend who enriches your life and just like, pushes you to do things and like grants you experiences, yeah. shows you another side of life. Like, yeah, man, like do business with them because I think you're only going to grow closer in that experience and become better people, I hope. There's a lot of been, there's been a lot of great experiences and like sort of adventurous experiences that have been downstream of us starting rap portraits. Not to make all of this about our thing, yeah. but I do think like, part of the ethos of what we're trying to do is like, if there's a moment that's happening and we come next week and could get the same thing, like we don't want to be there. The whole idea is that it's happening. And if we're not there, no one sees it kind of a thing. And so like by virtue of that kind of methodology, we end up in like really cool situations. And like we were talking about before Dylan, it's like you fall in love with music at a young age. You just want to be around it, man. That's why we we all do this. You know what I'm saying? And so being like so intimately, around it you know you want to just you want to be as close as you can and and we've you know keep finding ourselves in these really intimate spots you know like that kind of speaks to the trust that you were talking that we were all talking about before and of course considering considering everything considering everything that we've learned about you guys working together on rap portraits i want to know something a little more about the both of you like as individuals. So yeah. Holland, since, since I got you here, like when, so like you mentioned, you mentioned that you were making music and you came from a musical family. I feel it. I also come from a musical family. So that's really dope. But um, when did you, uh, so like, when did you, de- when did you first decide that you wanted to pursue, mu- um, pursue film instead of music? Like when did that happen for you? Uh, it, it happened because I was producing, um, and also performing with kind of doing producer stuff on stage with an artist from North Carolina called Wells. Um, we were like kind of, it was right after I graduated college, we were going on um, tours like here and there, we were kind of like opening for bigger acts, doing that whole thing. Um, and then he sort of stopped making music and moved to Virginia uh, to be with his girlfriend and just like kind of dropped off the music game. And at that point, that was like a big part of my life. So I had to, not not that I had to, but it gave me an opportunity to sort of reconsider where I was spending a lot of my time. And that is when I wrote Hype. And so it was kind of a clean transition from me spending a lot of time doing, you know, producer things to me writing a screenplay for a web series, which it's a web series, but it was like a five episode, 20 minute thing. So it's like kind of the same length and breadth of a, of a movie. Um, it was very much like 
from then on out making an independent movie. I mean, I did like the Kickstarter thing and I raised money in Durham to make it. Um, and then kind of spent the whole next year producing and directing that web series. I got really lucky because I, I got a really talented cinematographer who happened to be back in town in Durham called Bruce Cole to shoot it. So that really kind of like up the production value of it, which he's been kind of a mentor to me ever since. And I'm really grateful to him for that. But yeah, that was uh, that was the clean transition from when I became a coming from a producer to becoming a filmmaker because, you know, the one thing I was doing that was producing kind of went away and I went straight all into the filmmaking kind of thing. And it was a huge project. So it took me quite a while. Yeah, I bet. Like, and, and yeah, like not really have, well, 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 I don't want to assume that you didn't have any filmmaking experience, but it seems like you were really, uh, I like, really didn't, man. I made one short before that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so, so like, so, so like you really just to like, you wrote a screenplay and you really dove into this project with like little to no experience. And like, what was it like kind of just, I guess, like we were talking about before, like deciding to just like fall through the floor and just like, fuck it, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a web series. Like how, how, how was it kind of like learning about all of this stuff on the fly? Like, was that a lot to, or, or, or like, I don't have to ask if that was a lot to handle. I'm sure it was like, talk to me about that. It was a lot to handle, man. And like, I'm serious about not knowing any, like I didn't know a goddamn thing about filmmaking. Like we showed up on set and Bruce was like, do we have lights? And I was like, why do you need lights? Like we have a camera. <laughs> Like it was, I was literally that inexperienced about it. I, <laughs> I, I had, I didn't know anything. And so to have, I, I got lucky that I, I fashioned my crew with some people that did have some experience. Um, but yeah, I was just like, call it, dude, it's, it was, it's such a testament looking back on it now to the idea that you just like have to go and do the thing that you want to do. Because look, knowing what I know now, I would have never tried to have done it. I was so naive about mm the scope of the project. I was like casting people by having them come. It was so unprofessional, dude. I was like having people come and like to my house to read them to cast. And like every bit of it was completely unprofessional. However, everyone that joined the project did it strictly because they thought it was a cool thing that was going on and wanted to be a part of it. And through that, you know, I got like a dozen or so crew and all of the cast that are in it. I mean, a lot of them are friends. Um, yeah. And, and I was just, you know, every location that's in the thing, I was calling them and just asking for permission to come and shoot this thing on. And there's like no incentive financially for anybody to be involved with it, but it was kind of a thing that had this local, you know, we all want to make a film kind of energy and everything that I've done since then has been because of that project that I did in completely unforeseen ways. I mean, yo talked about Fonte calling him and telling him, you know, to watch type and look out for it. I met Fonte at LAX, like in the Uber line. Like I didn't know Fonte right. at all. And I just walked up to him and invited him to the premiere um, of Hype, which was showing in Durham like a, a month or two after that. And he came and just really championed it. Obviously, when I sat down and wrote Hype, I wasn't like, you know what I'm gonna do, man? I'm gonna make this, I'm gonna find Fonte in the street. Right. And I'm gonna be like, yo, Fonte, come here. And then he's gonna put me on to like, a writer who's going to become my production partner and we're going to start a whole thing together. You know what I mean? It's like, you can never, it's really hard to envision the A to B to C to D that, that gets you from one place to the place that you're trying to go, especially when you have like a lot of aspiration in a creative field. It's like, man, it just seems impossible for me to go from where I am right now at like 22 or 23, not going to film school, never done this before to being someone that wants to make movies. Um, 
but then you just have to do it though. <laughs> it's, right. the, it's the only thing that you can do, you know? Um, so yeah, I just had a lot of energy at that time and I, and I made the whole thing and it was, yeah, it was extremely stressful and exhausting. <laughs> but you came out on the other side and that's a test. And like, that's a testament to, that's a testament to something that you must've already had inside of you because like so many people get together on some, we want to make a movie shit and they're really passionate about it and they want to do it. But sometimes those people give you the room. Like you get something that's like, you get something that's like the room where like, it's kind of become this like oh, artifact. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to become this artifact, but like, that shit sucks. It's a bad movie. It's it's an artifact because of how bad it is. Like it, it it's not even like a talent thing. It's just like these people were passionate, but the movie sucks. And like you and the team behind hype had something that made the show great and made people like Fonte be like, oh, this is cool. I'm putting my weight behind this. You know, like that doesn't just happen for no reason. Sure. But the thing about it, too, is like what I think really attracted Fonte to the whole thing beyond it being like a North Carolina thing, like it was local to him, too. And it was about rap. So it was very much in his world. But it was when I went over to his crib like the following weekend and him hearing about how I made it, which is how I just described it to you with like a lot of hustle and like a lot of doing it yourself in a lot of different ways. And he, he was like, dude, it reminded me of making the listening. It was just mm. us. It was just us at the crib, like at in our friend's dorm room recording it like there was no one telling us what to do it was just that same energy and so i think like yeah even beyond like the quality of the thing it was really like the hustle kind of do-it-yourself aspect that is what you know i think fonte saw a little bit of himself in, in the project right yeah totally and um i just think that that's really tight <laughs> i don't even have anything like profound to add to that i like like considering the fact considering the fact that you didn't have a bunch of experience and you just kind of you like you put that faith in yourself to make something good and yeah. you put that I mean, faith it's, it's in your team. you know like do yeah. try do the thing you want to do you know like everyone says that of course like everyone's heard that advice before but it's just you know mine is another example of it being yeah. such a concrete like the only way to do it is to do it kind of a thing yeah and that's what got me about hype i remember it took me a minute to just sit down and watch it because i was like ah, this is a 20 minute episode yeah it's long as hell dude. i was like long four, four 20 minute episodes <laughs> i was like oh man, i don't know so i watched the first one i was like oh that was good i watched the second one that's what i think the second one's when he does like the acid or the mushrooms yeah that's a funny scene that scene i was like Oh, the, with the lights, I was like, okay. So like the third one, I was like, by the fourth one, I was like, I got to talk to this guy. Because it was that good. It was just that good. And it wasn't what I would consider like a perfect series. But you can tell that this is someone like trying things. Like he's trying new things. He's trying like different stories. He got all these different characters. He's trying all these different like shot angles. There's just like a, a voice to hype that very specifically touched me to the point where I was like, I can see why Fonte say, talk to this guy. And then after I talked to him, I was like, well, I really like the guy too. Like, he's just, did you tell him about how, when you approached Fonte, you didn't approach him for you, you approached him for, was it Taylor? Yeah, when I was at, when I actually did meet Fonte the first time, I didn't actually say, come to my premiere. I was doing a podcast. I was like producing a podcast, a rap podcast in North Carolina. And I invited him to come on the podcast because the two hosts were huge Fonte fans. Right. Um, I admittedly a little before my time, 
not wasn't a huge little brother guy <laughs> growing up. <laughs> so uh, I came out in with that energy. Never came on the podcast, but he yeah, did come to <laughs> come to the so, premiere. That's hey, it worked cool. out for somebody. For somebody. <laughs> it's like sometimes when you see a person, it's not about you. Like don't approach and thinking about like how you want to pitch yourself. Sometimes it's about trying to help out a friend. And even in the in the effort to help out a friend, it doesn't mean you're gonna necessarily help them out, but it doesn't make it seem like you're doing a pitch for you. I think pitching yourself constantly, sometimes it could just rub people the wrong way because obviously everyone thinks they think it's cool. Same thing with like we talk about rap portraits and like marketing and ads and all that stuff. And 95% of it for me is like I never want to feel like I'm overselling myself. I don't want to undersell. I don't want to oversell because I think sometimes when you oversell, it's like you're thirsty. Like you yeah. need people to care. Like I want people to like it. I want you to take it home, but I don't want to have to like be all in your face for you to want to take me home. Like I don't want to be a pick me. I just right. want you to see something special and take it home. So my whole thing is about making sure it's visible. Same thing. He just had to meet Fonte for Fonte to understand hype. It wasn't about like sending a, a bunch of emails. Like you just never know you're running somebody. So my thing is very much like make your thing and wait for you to meet that person that's going to help you to make it bigger. It's not always about like hunting them down. Sometimes they'll just bump right into you. True. And it's not like it's it was that great. Like you guys are kind of complimented <laughs> as much as you guys I have. Liked it. But it's like it I was. Like it. It was not the best thing, but I think the, the point is that it, it was like trying to have a voice. Like I was trying to say something with the right. series. It was about like how gentrification was like crushing the underground art scene in Durham. You know what I mean? It, it, it was trying to say something. And it comes back to the thing before where it's like be intentional, perhaps about if you're going to make art, try to say something at the very least. It doesn't have to be technically perfect, but people are going to respond to that. And try to say it in your voice. Yeah. Because it's yours. Again, it's like be, that be yourself is the same thing like you want to be yourself and your art you want to be yourself and your dress like everything has to be you because that's what people ultimately want to get into they want to get into you they want to be like that's what idols are right idols are just people that people want to be and you can't be an idol if you can't be yourself mm. yeah and yeah that's yeah that's kind of the point i was trying <laughs> sorry I, that that I was that, that was just tight um that, that, far as left and right <laughs> man it's, it's, it's you. i know when i don't know how long it's almost it's 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 almost like he should be a writer or some shit I know, right? <laughs> too much like homework bro yes. i told you well, who wants his book reports every day <laughs> and we do that's what we want son exactly. <laughs> i love a good book report my god yeah me too but yeah like it's kind of you know kind of to the point i was making about like the room before because like you know like there's passion there and i but like there like, like there's passion but there's no voice behind it and like kind of like the whole appeal or like the detriment depending on who you ask behind that movie is that like you don't know what the fuck that guy's trying to say like not like not not in not in the way it's written not in the way it's shown not in the way it's blocked like no like you don't know what is trying like you don't know what's being communicated at you don't you don't know who Tommy Wiseau is and that's kind of what makes him both really alluring and extremely put offish at the same it, it's it's a weird relationship but the thing I like so much about hype is that like, I got what you were trying to say, like, regardless of, regardless of the quality, like the technical quality, like I felt you in there. And I felt like this is someone who has a thing to say that's dope. 
and that and that's really what pushes stuff like that from I don't know what they're trying to say to oh shit this is cool let me tap in and see what happens next like even if even if you're not a fan of what you see at first like you know like I want to see where this goes you know like I want to see where this goes can buy you so much fucking time like those words I want to see where this goes like that'll buy you like a couple years for sure and a really inspirational thing that I I have held on to in my 20s is that there's a I think it's a Ezra Klein thing, but I could be misappropriating this quote, but it's called the gap. And the the idea is that when you're in your like early twenties and you have like sort of a creative ambition or, or you're, you see a project in your head and you really want it to be this thing, but there's a technical sort of gap between your vision for it and what you can actually achieve. You know what I mean? Like you're young, you don't know everything about the craft. There's like a craft gap kind of a thing between what you want to do and the things that you're actually making. And so a lot of people end up being extremely discouraged and maybe even, you know, not pursuing the creative endeavor that they were going after because it's like, oh shit, like I see this thing in my head and what I'm putting out, I know is not the same thing. And that's like so discouraging to people that they quit. But like ultimately, as you continue to try, like over the years, like that gap closes because you get better at your craft, you practice, you learn, like you take it seriously. And then like ultimately, and it usually like in the quote, he says it, it usually happens in a matter of like five or six years. So by the time you're in your late 20s, you kind of like do have the technical capabilities to achieve what you like see in your head. And like that's when you are actually like doing the thing that you saw you know, the whole time. But the point is that if you know what you're doing isn't good enough, like that's the whole thing that you need to have. Like if you put out stuff that is like the room and you think it's really great when you're 22, like you're going to keep putting that out forever. But if you put it out when you're 22 and you're like, fuck dude, this is not at all what I want. Just knowing that and kind of having the self-awareness and having the, whatever it is that you need to have to take your craft seriously to improve on it um, until you get there is the, is like really the major thing you have to have. And so speaks all to flip that <laughs> to flip that like look at what happened with mac miller like when mac miller dropped blue slide park like Great example. He, yeah. he, 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 he got slammed when he dropped yeah. that shit man and like and then and then he took all of that and he like really sat with it and thought with it and he got better and better every time from watching yeah. movies to well well really from macadelic to watching movies and then to everything else. Like he really sat with it and thought with it and was like, I want to make something better. And he found himself right before he was just not here anymore, which is still yeah. really sad to me. And he like, it, you know, like that's, yeah. He was critically panned, but he sold. Right. That album, wasn't it like the highest selling independent album? Since Doggy that- Style. Since yeah, doggy style, like so, that's crazy. He's trying to do something different, you know. So it wasn't about just selling, right? Because if Mac Miller would have been like, "Fuck the critics, they don't know nothing," like Kevin Hart. Yeah, I right. can, <laughs> I can just keep doing what I'm right. doing, and I can keep selling. Like it affected him, and it's just, it's not always nice. Criticism is not always nice. No one likes to be critiqued. No one. I hate it. I hate it but it makes me better. It improves when you're critiqued. The problem with sometimes with rap is we equate to selling to success. So if you sell and you're successful, then you don't have to hear the critics, but you should always listen to some kind of criticism because you have to at least face the fact that can I do better? 
That's ultimately what criticism is. It's, it's all about doing better. And like me and Dylan, we talked about the Migos album. Dylan, it took me like seven listens to come around on that album. That first listen, I was like, right. Gosh. They they did not do it again. We pack them up. Like, <laughs> but then the more I heard it, the more I was like, oh, you took the criticism from Culture Two, and you applied it to Culture Three. Like they sound energized. Every performance on that album is there's not one that's phoned in. The rapping, the like even the ad libs sound more lively. The Migos sound like they want to be there. They want to be in the studio. They want to be in your headphones. They want to be in your car. They want to be on your stage. They want to be everywhere. And I feel like that was not culture two. Culture two was like, we're rich. And I, I like, and we can kind of just do this in our sleep. And it's like, nah, culture we three. We don't want that shit. Like, Hell nah. No one, they don't want you to sleepwalk through creating. We want you to be awake. We, we need you to be aware. And that awareness is what really brought me around to the album. And that same awareness is what I'm trying to apply to my own art. Like, I just know, all because you can write on me, you can sleepwalk and do it. Mm. Uh, you can't be like, oh, I got 15, I can just write. I've, I've done this before. Like, no, bro. Like, every piece is a new piece. Every story is a new story. And you have to approach that story with a certain level of awareness, a certain level of concentration, of focus, love. Like, you have to attack work. Like, it's the first time every time. And that's how you close the gap. Yeah. Absolutely. That's how you Ira Glass. The gap. Ira Glass, the gap. If you look that up, mm. more eloquently stated than I did. Really. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the only time I got that, but before we move on, because I don't want to dwell on this too long, but the only time I got that from the Migos album when I was listening was was when I was listening to Vaccine. That's still that's it's still hard. my song. That hey. shit is hard as hell, son. Hey. That shit is hey. crazy. I think I think you'll come around, bro. I think I'm gonna try out. it. I'm gonna like, try it because I trust you. Just wait. But... Just wait. Don't rush. Definitely go see the Migos live. I okay. think see them live is gonna make all the sense in the world to you. And that's the thing. Like it's an outside album. That's why I had to learn. Bro, I was mm-hmm. listening to the Migos. My boy has a house with no furniture in it, nothing in it, right? So I'm just walking through the house playing the Migos, and it's just like it's lively. I'm up. I'm excited. Like I could feel, it felt like boxing. It felt like, oh, the Migos are on like the, their toes. They're coming off the rope. They're a little worn, they're a little torn, but it can, feel, it can throw a punch. It can still punch. And that's the thing is like, every punch is supposed to knock you out. I don't think every punch does it, but they throw it like it's supposed to. And I right. feel like once you see them live, you're going to see how hard those punches really hit. And this is this isn't just gonna be like the Travis Scott argument, right? Like you gotta see him live before you get the music because no, no, everybody's no, no, been telling no, no, me no, that. No, 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 because Travis Scott <laughs> is different. Travis Scott is literally taking chaotic energy and shooting it out to people. Like yeah. that's his whole stick. It's just like I'm going yeah. to create chaos. That's not the Migos. The Migos like I'm gonna create a concert, a carnival. It's supposed to be fun. Travis Scott, you might leave with a bloody nose. Migos, you might leave with your wife. Like you might meet your wife at a Migos concert. You're gonna find some good weed. You're gonna get a good drink. Like it's going to be fun. Travis Scott, you might break a bone. Remember people jumping off of like balconies at Travis Scott yeah, shows? Nah, I see I see all the that videos, is, son. Yeah, 
No, that's what people, they want you to go enter chaos and have fun. Like, no, I want to go to a concert and have a good time. No. And I like Travis. I like Travis. I like Travis shows. I saw from afar. I saw the Maj Pits. It is an experience, but I think it's a different experience when you're selling chaos and you're selling the concert. Yeah. And and it's also a different experience when you have an identity because Travis doesn't really have an identity. He's a chameleon and the Migos are not. The Migos have an identity. They have like a thing they put forth. And that's why... That's why people that's why people are going to bat for them like they've been like people are saying that they're that they're washed up and nobody cares like they 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 have an identity and people really connect with that still like even even if you're not seeing it online niggas still connect with the migos it's uh, yeah. like they they really do like <laughs> it's, it's, it's real and, and my thing is I think when you're an original sometimes it's very hard to keep people excited because when you're a chameleon you're constantly changing you shape shifting. Yeah. You can change styles. You can take whatever. And but you gotta remember, days before rodeo, Travis. It's all Atlanta on the album. Stug is Pee Wee Longway. It's the Migos. Like mm-hmm. Travis knows where the the sauce is. Travis can always go find the sauce. The Migos is they are the sauce. We are exactly the sauce. like yeah. How do you make the sauce more spicy? How do you make the sauce more sweet? How mm-hmm. do you make sure that sauce is covering everything that was going to make the meal pop? That's what they found out with Culture Three. They figured out how to make new sauce. I think that's my that's my point of view with that album. It's like, oh, this is the sauce album versus Travis. Travis is just like every album can be a different album because he's not the original. He is the chameleon. Like he's changing. He's a, he's a Kanye he's baby. He's a Kanye, he's a Kanye baby. baby, right? And the Eagles <laughs> are like, this is gonna sound terrible, but they're more like Outkast. Yeah, I know. I know, right? Like, I know. Like, no one's going to know. No, I, I just lost everybody. Everyone's going to stop. Like, I was like, okay. Like, yeah, about, like Andre and Big Boy. Is sponsored by Coach K. By Coach K. <laughs> by QC. <laughs> but not for real. Sure. Like, but I think every artist from Atlanta kind of comes from this sense of originality. Atlanta is like, the weirdest part about Atlanta, personally, this is like growing up just south of the city, but also like living in the city with music, like I, if you want to go to a concert, you got to go to the city. If you want to go see a, a studio, you got to go to the city. So like, I've been to the city so much. The thing that I realized the most is that no one from Atlanta wants to be a copy. No one, cause everyone thinks I got more sauce than you, right? I'm more original than you. No one wants to be 22 Savage. Everyone wants to be 21, Right. you know what I'm saying? Like you want to be yourself the most in Atlanta. So I always feel like that's what Outkast did. Like they told us that we could be ourselves and that that's okay. I think that's what the Migos does. The Migos is just themselves. See, that doesn't sound stupid at all. Like not when you explain it. And that's one of the things I love about you, yo, is that you take like, like you take these really complex, like cultural, like, like very specifically cultural ideas and just like boil them down so fast too. Like, it's not even like you have to sit there and think about it. You just spit the shit out. And like, that's always, for real like for real off the top like it's just like that's one thing that's always like it's just crazy to see it happen like here and in real life and like i was like man and like i was just wondering like for you like when you when you first decided to leave um olive garden and really Mm -hmm. like and really like say like oh i want to like this is what i want to do like what kind of what what inspired you to like we were talking about earlier like fall through the floor and just do it because it wasn't the money like (laughs) well i two things 
I had quit a, I had worked at a gas station before I went to Olive Garden. I quit that. Right. And I quit that. I remember that day very specifically because I got into an argument with my manager. He told me I was a bad worker. And I was like, oh, that's what you think. So I came in the next day. I did everything perfectly, like perfectly. I had a perfect work day. And my supervisor was there that day. He was like, oh, yo, you did a great job today. And I was like, thank you. I quit. So, <laughs> so as I'm walking out, I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Because you just quit your job that you had for a month. You had this job for 30 days. You just quit. So what are you going to do? And this is during the recession. So it took me a year to get the job. It took me 30 days to lose it. So now I was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm going to be a music writer. So I had already made that decision before Olive Garden. When I got to Olive Garden, the music writer thing didn't work out. So I had to get another job. But by that time, I had been writing enough. I felt good that I was a good writer. So I was at Olive Garden for a year and a half. And I was still writing on the side. So by the time I quit Olive Garden, I thought I had enough. I'll say the word talent because I don't have a better word for it. Because no one really taught me how to write. It's not like I went to a class and someone was like, okay, you do these things, you can be a music writer. Like I made all the choices myself. So realistically, I never felt like I was gonna fall to the floor. I never thought I was. I just thought that I had taught myself a skill that was good. And it's crazy because when I was writing before DJ Booth, I didn't have a lot of readers. It wasn't like someone was like, yo, you can write. You should do this. Like, nah, no one really told me that. I just believed it. I believed mm -hmm. it so much so that I quit two jobs to do it. And by the time I quit Olive Garden, I'm not telling these people that I can, I'm a writer. I'm just showing up to work every day saying, I'm going to quit soon. I would just be like, yeah, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I, even when I quit, it was so bad. They didn't hire no one in my position because they didn't believe me. Like I walked in, I wrote, I quit on a sticky note and pitted on the whole stand. <laughs> <laughs> and my boss was like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, all right. Well, this is your two weeks then. Your two weeks start right now. I was like, okay. So the last day happened to be New Year's Eve. So they made me close. These horrible people forced me <laughs> to close. On my last day, but I'm glad they out they, they out petted you because you tried to you, yeah. you, you tried to out petty yeah. them and they out petted yeah. you. That's the only thing I had to learn, bro. I'm petty, but I'm not that petty. Like <laughs> you can out petty me for sure. But Dylan, as I'm walking up Olive Garden, I'm seeing fireworks, and that's when I knew I wasn't gonna fall to the floor because this is already brighter than where I was. And then I started working at a DJ booth. So yeah, I guess it was never a thought. And that's the thing, like, it's weird for me because it's not like I was walking around telling people I'm gonna be a writer, I'm gonna get a book, like, nah, I was very quiet. Like, I was just like, I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna keep doing it until it's done. That was it. It was just all about doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. I didn't have no teachers, I didn't have no mentors, I didn't have no nothing. So I knew since I made the decision, at the end of the day, it was gonna be based on what I could make happen. It was either going to be me or it. It was going to work for me or it wasn't going to work at all. And I was fine with that. I was fine if I put everything on my back versus like asking Holly, like, hey, Holly, can you teach me how to be a writer? Because then I could be like, if I feel, I could blame Holly. I could be like, well, Holly didn't teach me how to write well enough. Right. <laughs> I feel it's like, dang, bro, like what went wrong? But I never thought I was going to fail because I knew, I knew what I taught myself. And I knew that if I can just get far enough 
And I and I totally understand why rappers take bad deals. Because if you take a bad deal for platform, it's like I can outwork the bad deal. You just want a chance. Now I talk about 10 people just want a chance. And that's all I was looking for was a chance. I got a chance. And now I'm talking to you. And you're holding yourself accountable. Like that's the I thing. Agree. Like account accountability is the is the thing I'm getting from both of you, but but especially you right now. Like like you're holding yourselves accountable for what you want and what you need to do. And that means everything. Like Yes, sir. Man. So like of like you've I could I, I could sit here and list all the things that you've written that I love until like fucking two o'clock in the morning. But like mm-hmm. of all the things you've written, especially like, like for now, like the few things are as affecting or timely as the thing you just wrote for from for, um, 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 for Jeff Weiss's site, uh mm-hmm. the rap and death piece. Like it's it's something it's something that I feel like a lot of a lot of rap um media people have been talking about for a really long time but no one ever actually wrote like a piece about it before like just this like especially recently like over the course of the last like maybe four or five years there's just been a lot of rap deaths like just between nipsey and mac and bankroll fresh and china and juice world and pop like once again the the pop smoke the list goes on forever and you took it upon yourself to kind of just try to, you know, like you do boil this down to some like raw thoughts. And like, I guess what, like, what drove you, like what drove you to finally say, fuck it. I'm gonna write this. Like no one's done it before, or at least not that I've seen. Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody else has, but like what drove, what drove you to say, fuck it. I got to write this. Talking to our friend crash. Shout, Shout out to boy, fucking Crash. Boy, Michael Penn the second. Because we were we were having this constant conversation about rap being the Wild West. Like it just felt like outlaws and guns and death and girls and drugs and drinks and Porsches and horses. Like it's it's the Wild West. We are cowboys. So um, what's my man's name? King Von Dies. So yep, King Von I was that's when it hit me. I was like, dang. And like I saw what happened to Vaughn. And it was just so quick. It was so fast. And I saw like his album had just came out and he had passed. And I was like, okay. So then I started thinking about the idea. I mean Crash were talking about it. I started writing the first like 500 words. And as I'm writing it, Crash takes me about mode three dying. Mm. Like, are you serious? Like, there's no way. He's like, there's no way. So then I went to the gas station, right? Because I had to, I did all this writing. I went to the gas station. I got a Red Bull. And the cashier's playing Pop Smoke, who was like just murdered. And I was like, dang. Like, everywhere you go, bro, you can hear a ghost talking. You know, like. I just felt like I was just, just all these ghosts, all of these men who are not here no more. You hear Juice World everywhere. You just, you just like there's an energy about it. So I wrote the first draft in November, and I just put it away because I didn't love it. I just like, I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was great. Then, uh, Vino died. You know, Vino from North Carolina died. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, eighteen Vino. Eighteen Vino. Eighteen Vino died. That's when I wrote the second half of the paper. I woke up to text messages about Vino passing. I was just like, what? 
And Fuck Rap was one of my favorite songs of last year. Sorry, I had to say that. He he, he was, was so, so hard. He was crazy. And, <laughs> and man, it was just one of those things where so I wrote like the second half of the piece, and then I was just like tweaking it for like months. Just like tweaking it. I just, I just it was the first piece I had where I didn't have a date where it was due. So I just kept working at it. I just kept working at it. I sent Jeff Weiss the draft. He was like, all right, yo, you got some, you got some good two-pointers that can be three-pointers. I just want to get you the threes. And I was like, all right. So I took his edits. I kept working at it. I kept working at it. I kept working at it. I sent it back to him. And he was like, yep, this is it. Like, this is it. And that felt so good because I respect Jeff. To me, you talk about writing with a voice, talk about an artist, you talk about a creative. Like, Jeff Weiss is all-encompassing of everything. Like, he is someone i don't i don't idolize people but like if there was a writer to look at and, and be like this is what you want to do to be a writer you gotta look at jeff wise because like bro he covers everything immaculately and he does it in his voice it's always a jeff wise piece from the moment you read it from isaiah rashad to kobe Bryant, no matter what it is he is going to give you a jeff wise piece and so, like from from everywhere like he like it like, like it's like he's it's like he's lived everywhere if he writes about texas it's like he's from <laughs> texas chicago yeah. is like he's like he wrote about like he wrote about acid rap when um it first came out for pitchfork and like he was dropping like local references i'm like how the fuck do you know what this is like i'm almost afraid to have him come to jersey because if he starts talking about like the tiktok diner i'm gonna be like you've yeah. been here like <laughs> like i don't know how bro does it Cause like we all got Google, bro, but his stuff don't feel like it's Google. It feels like it's lived. Yeah, like he's, <laughs> and he he's telling you about it being there. It's so bizarre how good he is. So I was always excited about my first POW piece, and that's the thing. I wouldn't, I wasn't going to pitch Jeff anything that wasn't going to be special. Like I knew when I had this idea that I needed an editor. I think, man, I feel like in every role in your life you need an editor. Everything, and we should copy edit. Instagram posts, like <laughs> Facts. You need a, copy, a copy editor for everything because it just allows you a second eye. And I wanted, and I knew with the piece I had, I needed a special eye. I just needed someone who like gets rap, who understands dev, who understands like everything that I was encompassing. And he just got, and I, like, again, it's like the piece is, is in two sectors, it's two sections. So like, it's always a kind of, it's a little weird, it's a little strange, but I knew POW is where you go to get a little weird, to get a little strange, and to just like break all the rules. He just gave me like this perfect avenue for it. And um, I just got an email about that piece. I'm gonna text you and you're gonna be like, oh shit, like that's what that piece did. Cause that's how I felt. Yeah. I was like, man, I'm so glad I wrote it and it came out the way it did because I just got the validation. Like sometimes validation for me isn't how many people click something. It isn't how many people read something. It's about how many people react to something. And yeah. sometimes you just need one good reaction, Dylan, to know that, like, that's why you wrote it. Like, you wrote it because it needed to be said, and it had a ripple effect in the world. And I just got my confirmation about that one in particular. Damn. Yesterday, I just got it yesterday, so I'm going to show I'm gonna send it to you right now. And uh, <laughs> I still got to, like... Ripple effect is such a good way to put it, too, because it's like you only create a ripple effect when you say something that's like weighty enough to create such mm, a thing. Exactly. Mm. Hey, say that. Yeah. The thing I was talking yeah. about earlier is like, 
the way things connect in unforeseen ways when you when you put something out into the world. But it's like, yeah, it's got to be, it's got to have that heft to it as well. You know, you can't just put anything out into the world. Much needed. Right. Yeah. And like, and like that's, and like that's kind of where the intersection of, of just like rap journalism and something like rap portraits kind of comes into play because like video and written journalism have had an interesting relationship for a very, like, like since, like since fucking music started being covered on cameras really but like especially now especially in the age of youtube and all this other shit so like for the both of you um this is one of my last two questions for you um what are some of the what are some of the similarities and differences between these two different types of journalism that you've kind of both noticed since starting rap portraits last year would it like what have we seen in the context of the world of like video journalism or what how do you mean sorry um just just in the sense that like like i guess in the sense of like how would you say creating an episode of rap portraits is similar or different to writing a 1200 word piece Mm. Well, I'm gonna go, I haven't written 1,200 words of anything. No, no. But does not tell the truth. He can write. He's a good writer, by the way. Yeah. Your script is good, but like your personal essays are also yeah. good. Like I don't know why I'm doing all this writing for a viewfinder when he can write. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like not even, not even, not even like specifically about writing a 1,200 word piece. Yeah. It's like writing in general because it's all yeah. a process. I was like, about to say, like to me, rap portraits are cover stories. They're just cover stories. We, we synthesize the same amount of information about an artist, about a person, the same way that you synthesize the information when you're doing an interview, all right? Like when you're writing a piece, if it's not a Q&A, if it's a profile style piece, you're trying to take the audience from point A to point Z, right? And you're trying to create this character with this artist who is going to uh, have all the lines, the spotlights on them and you need to get across to the audience who this person is. That's what we do with rap portraits. We, we get that across. When we was cutting and editing the movies, I was really like, oh yeah, this is a cover story. Because the way from, hey, it's Mavi, like from the moment it starts, he introduces himself, we got a setting, we got uh, a mission. And as we go into throughout the day, we never leave the audience behind. You are following a story in motion. So by the time you get to the end, and like even subtly, we, we reference the concert the entire time, every room, every space, he mentions this concert. Oh, this sold out show. Like we never take our eyes off the show. It's always there. And I feel like with journalism, you've got to have a through line. Like you've got to have something to keep people engaged throughout the entire piece. So our through line was the concert, but also got this blue bag right this bag is rolling with them so you see the bag it becomes a bag it becomes a character like everything moves everything's alive and i feel like that's what we can't do sometimes in journalism is like capture all the motion in a day because you have like a word count you have like a framework that you have to operate around but yep. this oh bro we create the frame we know we only got like eight or nine minutes but it moves the entire thing moves so because we can do that I can show you things I can't show you in the piece. I can show you things that I could not write in the piece. And even like the places Holland would get a camera at would be off the record, right? Someone would be like, oh, I'll tell you this off the record. Holland gets right. cameras in the places where it should be off the record. The entire thing, that first meeting with the, with the booking agent, bro, I have never seen 
anyone have a meeting with a booking agent before. Ever. I remember I sent it to one of my boys, Ryan. And he was like, bro, what, how'd y'all get in there? I said, bro, I don't know how he did it. But the same thing, like when we went to the house, the sign for the house. So the lawyers, the people on the house before, the rapper, his lady, all of them are in the room, right? There's not enough seats for me, so I leave. Holland's in there shooting the entire time. Like, we know way too much about home ownership from that experience. But it's because they never told him to cut the camera off. They would have told me, like, hey, you can't write that. Like, if I would have been there taking notes, they would be like, hey, no, sir, like, you can't, you can't reference that. You know, that's off the record. So I feel like that's, like, the biggest difference for me is that film, when done correctly, maybe we got to cut this out because I don't need people looking at him and be like, hey, don't, don't record this. But, like, I need access. The, the camera, like, this thing can get access so fast, faster than I can type. So that's the thing about this journalism. This is like, this is a little bit more human. Journalism has to be edited. It has to be sculpted. It's, it's, it's sculpture. Like we're sculpting. This right here is like childbirth. We're giving you the real. So that's the end of that. Yeah. We're giving you the real. I have, I have no more. Thoughts. That was like a, <laughs> that was like an ellipsis. Oh no, no, wow. no I'll pick it up. Okay. Yeah, that was, From that my was perspective. Past, bro. <laughs> Coming, coming at it from a narrative perspective, um, maybe maybe where it veers from journalism for me is that I'm like not nearly as interested in sort of like the expository information when we're putting these together. So Yo often like has an, an ear and an eye for just quotes that are interesting in and of themselves and will like really want to put those in the film. And to me, I come from a place where I'm like, dude, if it doesn't specifically relate to in the mob, case of Mavi, like Mavi and his first show, like it doesn't belong in the film because it's like, I'm I'm thinking in terms of like narrative and I'm thinking in terms of the action and yo, like think his brain works a little bit differently where he's thinking more journalistically. So I think that with rap portraits specifically because we have this like verite approach to it, it's not, we're not asking people to talk to camera. We're, like yo isn't really like sitting them down for an interview or anything like that. We get a lot of sort of really natural reactions that tell you a lot about an artist where like maybe you were, you know, would have to kind of like paint a picture using like your craft and technique where we can just like put a camera on like Mavi listening to a booking agent and you like really learn a lot about his position like with respect to the world. It's like, oh, this is his first thing. You can kind of sense he's a little bit like new and like nervous to this thing. Like we, I don't, we don't have to say anything. I could put a camera on him for 10 seconds and you like understand all of that stuff. Um, but then where yo will interject with journalism is like, dude, this is like paints a, this quote right here about Mavi talking about how like the, um, like the subway system is like inherently racist. Like you need to put that in because that paints a picture of like who Mavi is as a character, as a person. And right. so I think the blend of those two things where it really like feels like a film that has a narrative, but also has like the expository character building information that yo has a real ear for. And I4 is uh, like the middle ground in which you get kind of the rap portraits, which is why hopefully it feels something a little bit more filmic than your sit down. This is why you need to know this artist. This is why this artist is important thing. Um, it's a little bit away from that, I guess. Right. Yeah. No, totally. And that, and, and that really comes through and everything you just said reminded me of this. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember who said this, but like when, um, somebody made a film version of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. 
and they were and somebody else reviewed it and they were talking about how like Cormac McCarthy's writing style is like very dry and very like like he describes things but it's like super dry and not like very colorful but like you look at the way that he'll like describe a post-apocalyptic wasteland on the page and then you watch the movie and you see all of that in a second like 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 three full pages of description can right. be shown on screen in four seconds yes right right, right. and like finding that balance finding that balance and like or, or yeah, or yeah having found that balance is what makes a project like rap portrait so unique to me especially especially in the, in, in the field of like modern um video journalism for sure thank you man thank you bro thanks going it, it definitely feels like Dylan. You should review once one time. I was about to say I want. If you're going to speak this nicely about it, I want Dylan to review all the rap portraits. Like keep doing movie <laughs> Like if we can get a movie review from Dylan on every rap portrait, I'll be happy. I mean, if y'all like, want it, <laughs> yeah. So you can do a newsletter. Like <laughs> review was not newsletter. And then we'll make a film about you doing your podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. In my fucking closet and shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> I already have footage. <laughs> So we've, been, we've also been recording. Cameras <laughs> 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 everywhere. Oh. Um, but yeah, I, love it. Like, I feel like when when they were doing a conversation about pivoting the video, it never made sense to me because I I never thought that journalism could be video because it's like the reason why me and Holland work the way we do is because his camera's small. He's like able to move around. I describe it as a cat, like he's very swift. He can get into places and you sort of forget he's there. Sometimes he's just like so quiet that you don't even think about he's in the room. And I, that's a skill I can't teach somebody. Like if I try to have a crew of four or five cameras, bro, you know you're being recorded. But if I have one guy in the room with a tiny camera, do you forget you're th- that he's there? He's going to get you being yourself because you're going to take off the cool. You're going to take off the star and you're going to strip down to yourself because you feel comfortable enough in that. So I, I when I realized it, I was like, oh, okay, that's why we have to do this with rappers because their whole thing is putting on cool. Like the entire art form is about putting on cool. So like we're trying to take the cool off a bit. And, and that's just, yeah, and that's when you get those moments. And I think like the thing I was speaking of the differences in perspective between you and I, but I think the thing that ties us together too is that we both really have the sense for moments and like a sense of the poetry of it a little bit and, and like sort of think can think a little bit more abstractly about everything too and try to represent that, you know, cinematically in the, in the films too. So it's not like straight journalism really. He's not scared right. of the abstract, yeah. which I like. Like Holland's an artist, artist. Like he's extremely artistic. Like that's what I like about him. He wants to be a filmmaker, but he also wants to be an artist filmmaker. He wants to make art. I want to make art, and art isn't always straightforward. Sometimes it's a little bit more abstract, and just like the ideas that we come up with, even things that you'll see when we roll out uh, the the next rap portrait coming out on Sunday Father's Day, is that like even the ideas that we come up with for things is just a little bit more. It's not even creative, it's just more abstract. And it's not even about it being super successful. How long be like, you think this is cool? I'm like, I think this is cool and we'll try it. Like that's it, he's, just, he's not afraid to try things. And I think that is like very important being an artist. You gotta try some shit. 
Right. And I'm really glad you ended that thought on that note, because the very last question I have for you both is like, so um, I was talking to my um, um, I was talking to um, yo, me, um, me and yo's boy, uh, Ryan, who works over at Audio. Oh, uh, a couple of days ago. Oh, I know Ryan. I met Ryan. Oh, okay. You know Ryan. Of, of, of course you do. What the fuck boy. am I talking about? What the fuck am I talking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. I'm sorry. That's I'm sorry. No, I just I met him at the Mavi one actually. Right. Yeah. Special day, man. I'm telling you, I should have thought about that because we were all there. That 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 place was packed. Holy shit. So I was talking with Ryan a couple of days ago, and um he was talking to me about real notes and just what was going on with that. And he mentioned he mentioned to me that we were he mentioned to me that he feels like we're in the new blog era, in the sense that like the blog like like blogs have kind of died. And or if, if or like if they haven't died, they don't mean what they once meant, right? And um, at this point in a lot of our lives, like a lot of creatives and a lot of writers and a lot of filmmakers and directors and artists of all stretches are kind of taking the reins of this music thing, of this music documentation thing, and creating their own platforms. Like we got. You know, I got real notes. Y'all have rap portraits. You know, EVA has a Maka studio. Crash has a good convo. Um, Ayana, um, um, another one of our friends has Brainwash Media. My girl Jordan Ash has True to Us. You know, like we're creating these spaces that we grew up with and kind of like make, making a push for it in that and, and, and just like kind of bringing it back to what we loved about what this is. And uh, I guess my last question for you both is, do you feel like, you're participating in a new blog era. And if so, how do you feel these new outlets will carry on that tradition? And if not, what role do you feel that platforms like, I guess, ours will play in the media landscape going forward? Can I start? Yeah, that's a yo question for sure. You know, it's crazy though. I never thought about us as like a media company. I never really thought about us being like in a scene, in a moment, in a time. Like I feel like me and Hollow, we feel like we just are kind of like stepped out of everything and kind of just created this thing to be what we envisioned it to be. So you're the first person that made me even think about like, damn, are we a part of something? And if we are, I love that I'm a part of it with you and with the EBAs and with the Ayanas and with those people because. You know, man, I'm a big fan of the Beat Generation, the Jack Kerouacs, Alan Ginsberg, like, you know, Cassidy, all those guys. And it was a generation. It was a movement of young writers who ushered in a new way of thinking about writing by poetry, you know, thinking about writing. Like, Kerouac took the commas out. You got no commas in your writing, bro? Like, how did you get away with that? No editor. <laughs> Imagine trying to send that to an editor at Rolling Stone. He's going to laugh at you, bro. Right. So... <laughs> So I've always been interested in being in that. So let's say that, that we are. I feel like what Rap Horses is gonna do and what, what our goal has always been is to be that documentation for rap. Like we wanna capture what rap is like in the moment. Rap history, right? Rap history in the moment. That's all we wanna do. And I think that everyone in this is essentially capturing history. Like the way you document is capturing history. The way EVA writes is capturing history. The way Ayana writes, like everyone's capturing history. And I feel like if you join all of these platforms together, what you're gonna see is the 2010s and the 2020s, what it looked like, what it felt like, what it smelled like, what it tastes like, all of that. We're like, we're going to collectively 
create what the the history book. We're gonna make the history book, but I also feel like we're running our own race for real. Like we're not really we're not even looking at what's beside us or what's behind us or what anyone else is doing. Like we're so focused on us, bro. And it's just really it's just because we're busy. It's not because it's like oh fuck everybody else. Like no, bro. No, of course. Don't have time to look at what anyone else is doing. I wish I did because I'll probably be excited about it, but. Nah, man, like the way me and Holland work with hoop portraits, like it's so cool. The rap portraits creates hoop portraits. Now my man is busy. He's super busy. Oh, he everywhere. We already know that. But I love it, though. Well, I love it. He might not. Yeah, he might have some feelings. (laughs) I love that, like, we're producing ideas. It's producing ideas. That's how you become a conglomerate. Like, if we end up doing, like, NFL portraits, I don't think we can. We don't got time for it. But if we did, it's like, oh, wow, this thing is a world that's expanding. So I hope at the very end of our run, whenever that will be, that we look like a world and not like a moment. Because it's like, right. if you're a world, people can live there. They can move there. They can live with you. But when you're a moment, it happens so fast that they can forget you. And like, we are, we're not in the business of being forgotten. Right. And that's, and like me saying all of that before isn't even to like gas us up in any sort of like ridiculous, like we're the next, we're the next coming, but like. I feel because like there was a point in time with like two dope boys, all smash. um, Not right. All right. My guys are not right. Like DJ Booth, everyone was like kind of operating by themselves, pitches and playing. Shout out to my man Jacob. Yep, Um, yep, yep. Shout out to Jacob. They were just operating, but because they were kind of like creating in the same space in the same field, that creation created a conglomerate. Like there you we're go. a community. There you now. Go. So we're we are building communities. Everyone you named, I know. And everyone yeah. just you're in, in community with I'm in community with, like we went to Tulsa. You know what I'm saying? We met everybody at Tulsa. More journalists that we in community with. I was just with Christina Lee the other day. Hey, yeah, I went to Christina. Press with, with Ja, who's at Boss Up. Like I I definitely feel in community. I just think of everyone as my friends. I don't think about us being like the new frontier, the new vanguards. I don't think it's right. like that, but you know, in 20 years, when they're asking like who did what, they might have to talk about us. Cause we did it. Exactly. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping you see that. Me. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm hoping that that's what happens. I hope that we all get a chance to run our race. And that at the end of the race, we all get trophies. I want all my boys and all my girls to get trophies because I think we all deserve it. For real. I agree. hundred percent. I'm just, I'm just so happy to like be like here running next to anybody, like regardless of how we look at each other. I'm glad I'm running, bro. I got legs. Yeah, same. Like, work. <laughs> Why not run, man? But yeah, uh, I think it was a good question. Thank you. Holland, do you have anything you want to add to that before, before we wrap this up? No, I'm going to let, I'm going to let yo speak for both of us on that one. That was a great answer. All right. <laughs> Damn. Well, um, that's it. I don't have any other questions. Um, oh, thank y'all, man. Like, wow. Pleasure, Dylan. Great oh, to talk fun, to you. Bro. Come on now. Yeah. The long form. We're three long form dudes. We're three long form dudes. We sure. are three long form dudes. Dylan, and yeah, Dylan, like Dylan can't call me without talking for almost two hours. Yes. <laughs> I can't even have We're long calls. form dudes in a short form world. In a short form world. Man. <laughs> See, you you do got more shit to say. What are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Shout out to y'all for making it this far. 
And shout out to all the black people listening too, because y'all really impeccable. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and tell a friend to come through next time. One.